In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello and welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Tom Sidlatik, and today we are going to discuss XCOM. We're breaking down XCOM 2 and the XCOM board game. Joining me for the discussion today are the Hobby Box, Joe Burns. Heyo! And P. Diddy, the rogue hippo, Patrick DeGeest. Oh, hey! <laughs> welcome to the show, guys. Patrick, you've been working full-time on your comedy routine. Now, I offered you a paid gig to host a virtual OIO happy hour, and you turned me down. Do you hate me, or do you hate the OIO listening community? I really considered it, Tom, but uh, <laughs> I listened to a lot of comedian podcasts, and they all talked about trying virtual comedy during the pandemic, and 100% of them said it was just a disaster. <laughs> and these are pros. These are professionals. So I thought... I would just be setting myself up for failure. Well, I'd love to see you fail. So, you know, everyone gets what they want then, you Patrick. Would, then you would have thought it was hilarious, but everyone yeah. else would probably just be disappointed. That was actually the whole point that Tom was going for. You sure. just saw right through it, apparently. Now, you think everyone else would be disappointed, but you have this incredible, like, animal magnetism that just draws dudes to you. Everyone would have loved it. Everyone would have thought it was the greatest set. Like, you could have just stared at the camera and not said anything, not said a word, and people would have been like, yeah, Pat's pretty funny. I can't believe you didn't say a thing the whole time. It's true. I, I, I have a legendary uh, magnetism for bromances, I guess. Dudes love you, Patrick. Yeah, yeah. That'd be like dudamal magnetism instead of animal magnetism or something yeah, like that? Dudamal. Yeah, it, It's happening in the comedy community. I had a guy call last night just to talk. <laughs> and I'm like, for like an over an hour <laughs> at, at 11, and I'm trying to go to bed early so I can be here. <laughs> He's just going on and on. So you're you're like Barry from the HBO show, but you're just not a like you're just not a uh, hired hitman on the side. Wait, what show? There's a show called Barry. <laughs> no, I haven't seen it. Yeah, Bill Hader basically plays a guy who's a contract killer. Has to go to L.A. for a, a hit. That's the premise of Barry. Yeah. Huh. And he tracks he, the guy he has to kill is in an acting class. And so to track him down, he ends up like walking into the acting class and gets pulled on stage with the guy he has to kill. And it just sort of kind of devolves from there. But like people like in the acting class are just kind of drawn to him, probably because he's very different from all of them. And and so it, I think it's, it's something sort of similar to that. Yeah. Dudes love me. I, as much as dudes can platonically love another dude and like get giddy at the thought of hanging out, it happens a lot. I don't think it's entirely platonic, but <laughs> Burns, you're moving out of your apartment and away from one of your friends and Gloomhaven companions. Do you need Pat to come and help you pack up some boxes? Nope. Because I'm hiring movers because I am an adult and I am past the point in my life where I force myself and others to do manual labor when I need to move. So Why are you looking at me? Just because I asked you to help me do the leaves after <laughs> our last gaming session. You, But 
you, you say that as if it was just like, oh, hey, by the way. No, you mentioned it like multiple times, put in tons of drop-ins about it, and we're just kind of like, it'd be great if you could help me with leaves. Well, yeah, I found out it irritated you. Like, if I if I had the <laughs> means, I would just get the biggest stuffed manatee and like go, here you go, buddy. Happy <laughs> OYO. I wasn't irritated. You, you, you must not have ever seen me irritated if you thought I was irritated about that. I've talked to you about manatees before. I do get a little worked up about them sometimes. Yeah, we saw a video on Instagram yesterday. It was like this little river, just this tiny little river. It couldn't have been more than knee-high, and it was chock full of manatees. Yeah, well, you know, whatever. If, that, that, if that's where they're just going to sort of float around and die, whatever. But uh, So here's a, here's a little, uh, what do they call these, hypothetical for you that I, I was listening to. Uh, somebody posed it to me the other day. Uh, I choose Patrick. It doesn't quite work that way. So you choose an animal to fight and it either will grow to be your size or shrink to be your size. Give me a sloth. Sloth have claws, though. Like, I, I, yeah, like, but they're lazy. I'll just walk up. I'll punch that sloth in the face. One, one punch. That fight is over. All it takes, though, is one grasp and it like catches your neck and then you're just toast. Yeah, well, what do you expect me to do? Fight a giraffe? That, I mean, that's actually that's that's the one thing. Um, my friend who had heard about it uh, heard it on uh, Animal it a Planet video or something, and that's what everybody said. Like, giraffe's the answer, right? Because it'd be shorter. Its body would be like at your knees. And you just grab its neck and just. <laughs> Pat, what's your answer? Uh, penguin seems pretty easy. It's got no no arms, n- really no weapon at all. Big it's got a beak. They're not known for pecking, are they? Well, if they were man-sized, they would be. I don't know. I mean, it might just... Patrick, you're six feet tall. You want to fight a six-foot-tall penguin? <laughs> I think with no hands. <laughs> you've seen a... Billy. You've seen Billy Madison, right? Yes. It's too hot for a penguin to be just walking around. That thing was man-sized. It didn't look like it could do much harm to right. anybody. I think you're right. I take on a penguin. I think pretty easy victory there. My answer was manatee, of course. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just a chance to beat a manatee. And it would just lay there and you. It would be yeah. Kick it, it in would, the face. It, you know, and maybe it would like be able to stand up on its hind legs if like the whole thing was to make it able to hypothetically fight me granted it would probably take tons of blows in order to take it down but i'd be able to find whatever instruments i could to, to just sort of destroy the <laughs> you thing would lay so. there immobilized yeah. until you grabbed a two yeah. by four or something yeah you know and it's a bucket list item off the list finally so yeah as, as fun as this discussion is i would like to say uh with in no uncertain terms that outside is overrated does not condone the beating or mistreatment of animals in any way shape or form so going back to those leaves so yeah. <laughs> I, you know, we uh, we had a group of people here to play the Horizon board game. It was Horizon when I was harassing you guys for uh-huh. right because Pat was stay so. over. Yeah, so like I'm bugging you guys to do my leaves now. I have a house. I'm blessed to have a house, but we have like ten giant ass trees in our yard, mm-hmm. and like we took at least eight pickup loads of leaves out last fall. Eight loads. I still had twenty bags of leaves this spring to clean up. Yeah, it's uh, leaves are the worst. I I agreed. I had a smaller house. And it had two large trees in the front yard, and that thing would just be blanketed. You'd clear it all up, it'd happen at least twice more. And that's it's the worst. Like, I don't mind doing it once. Yep. But, like, it, then they just fall, and you have to do it all over again. And again, it's like, well, we'll just wait for all the leaves to fall. And then you're, like, walking through a foot of leaves in the yard. And yep. then it's just, oh, it's horrible. Yeah, and, I mean, you could lose a kid in those leaves. Yeah, and I have two little ones now. Yeah, like, yeah. It's 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 just too risky to not take care of it. I yeah. lived on a boat just so I wouldn't have to rake. <laughs> That's the 
the entire reason. I thought it was because you were trying to become a captain. No. Nope. Prior to comedy. <laughs> it was my hatred of raking. Oh. <laughs> so is there some sort of analog to that, though? Like, do you have to do a lot of, like, seeping things out with nets around the boat or anything like that? Or... Down in Florida, you got to jump in the water and, like, scrub algae off your dingy bottom. Well, Patrick, this is a... <laughs> that sounds dingy, like something dingy. dirty. I'm going to scrub some algae off your dingy bottom. Yeah. Well, it's just funny to look at our two different outlooks on life, Patrick. Like, you moved to a boat so that you wouldn't have to rake. I tried to convince my best friends in the world to come and rake leaves with me. It's like, huh, interesting. We are different types of people. Tom, would you rather rake leaves or have to poop offshore Define offshore. Well, no, so like, you know, you're living on the boat, the, the toilet doesn't work, you gotta go, like, onto the shore in order to poop, whenever you need to poop. Which yeah. would you rather prefer? You live in a house where you have to do leaves, like, three times a year, well, or you I mean, live in a boat where every time you poop, you gotta go over there? I'll take the house, but it's because I have a 75-inch 4K TV that, oh. like, I couldn't have on a boat. Like, I, I thought you were, like, grossly overestimating the size that you have. <laughs> 75-inch Duke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Patrick, wow. you, you got about... that out real fast before this podcast then <laughs> i really wanted to get this done man like i just thought about patrick and i just bore down like the fastest sausage stuffer <laughs> this side of the mississippi <laughs> we're off the rails this is going well should we just talk about leaves this whole podcast <laughs> yeah, leaves and bowel movements yeah. episode 49 of outside is overrated <laughs> Uh, if you are interested, if you haven't checked out already and you'd like to follow us on social, you can email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. You can follow Hobbybox Joe Burns at Hobbybox Burns on Twitter. <laughs> Nobody's knocking over anything on the table. It's fine. And at twitch.tv slash Hobbybox Burns. Quick reminder, if you have a Prime subscription, you get a free subscription on Twitch, and you can certainly kick that to the Hobbybox. Hey. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ThompsonLogicOIO or follow the show at Facebook.com slash Outside is Overrated. And Patrick, I did not put your handles in here. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. Where can all the dudes find Patrick? Uh, Pat DeGeest on Instagram. And Grinder. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm Rogue underscore Hippo on Twitter. And do you want to give uh, your home address and your social security number too? Maybe your Venmo ID? <laughs> Cash Ven- app? Venmo's not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of Venmo and other things financially related, you can support the show at patreon.com slash OIO. It's relatively easy. You just go to Patreon, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You set your pledge, you enter your credit card info, and you're all set. What do you get for your support? Well, I open my home every year for a Patreon appreciation party every summer. You guys have been to that. It's a pretty good event, right? Like, yeah. I do some food, do some drinks, yeah. have some giveaways for I'm the excited. patrons. Lots of fun. Uh, we do a giveaway item at the party, and last year, I haven't completely finalized plans this year, but last year we did a grand prize drawing for all the patrons. Every patron that was here, no matter what level, whether you contributed $2 or $50, everyone had a chance to win a PS5 last year. I gave, well, OIO gave away a PS5 last year. Thank you to our sponsor, Premier Health. Who won it last year? Luther. Luther nice. Bell won it last year. Free PS5. Clutch. Good times. Um, and just a quick note about where that money goes. For most of it goes to advertising, honestly. We spend $3 a day on Google AdWords. There are $365 a year. That is over $1,000 spent just on advertising every year. There's also media consumed for the show, so my dear friends Patrick and Joey don't always have to spend their own money on everything we talk about. Chipotle consumed for the show? Yep. Yeah. Lunch savings account <laughs> <laughs> initiated. <laughs> I, if you enjoy Outside is Overrated, I really hope you'll consider going to patreon.com slash OIO. And just a reminder, the con- contributions start at $2.
Get your one dollar out. Only two. Get your one dollar donation out of here. Yeah. 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 Two dollars. They start at two dollars. Yeah. Not one. Also an interesting just this I mean somebody could give you one through it, right? They just won't get anything for it technically. I'm not sure. Actually, no, I don't think you can pledge less than two. Patreon dings every donation under $3, so I am actually I eat a pretty big fee when someone only does $2. Interesting. So the tiers that I have set up are $2, $5, $10, and then you can choose your own above that, which we have one person who very generously does. Thank you to my sister. Um, so, I don't know. Support your independent content creators, because this show is a lot of work. And speaking of a lot of work, we played XCOM 2. <laughs> it did feel like work. <laughs> This game released in February 2016, developed by Firaxis and published by 2K. This game has an 87 on Metacritic. 87 on Metacritic. Burns, do you think this game deserves an 87 on Metacritic? I mean, who am I to say what Metacritic actually means? I wouldn't put it anywhere near an 87 on Metacritic. But uh, but that's, that's my opinion. That's one man's opinion here. And so we'll get into the reasons for that. I cannot wait to dive into it with you. <laughs> I'll give a brief history of the franchise. XCOM, UFO Defense, or UFO Enemy Unknown as it was known in the UK, originally released on Microsoft, DOS, and Amiga computers in 1994. It was ported to the PlayStation in 1995. I wish I had known that. I might have actually played it back in the day. Uh, designed by brothers Julian and Nick Gollop at Mythos Games and published by Microprose, a company <laughs> co-founded by Sid Meier. XCOM Terror from the Deep comes out in 1995. It's the same gameplay, new setting, underwater. Mm. A handful more games released through 2001. Then the franchise lay dormant for 13 years with the license changing hands before Take-Two buys it and hands the right to Firaxis, another studio founded by Sid Meier. Am I saying Firaxis right? You laughed. No, it's just, I've already I, heard it. I, yeah, I just I chuckled about the fact that Sid Meier, like, company bought it again. Yeah, very interesting. XCOM Enemy Unknown released in 2012. It was a spiritual remake of the original PC game. And then the game we're actually breaking down here, XCOM 2, came out in 2016. So after 13 years of dormancy, they released two games in four years, a spiritual successor, and XCOM 2 is a refinement of that. For the purpose of this podcast, I played with DLC content on the Switch, Patrick played the base game on PC, and Burns played the base game on PS5. Is that right, guys? That is correct. Patrick, we'll start with you. You played and beat the original XCOM, and I know you also beat Enemy Unknown. What originally drew you to this franchise and when did you jump in i jumped in right when the uh, original one came out and you said 94 1994 yeah and uh my family members are really into strategy games so uh one of my cousins got me on board with xcom it couldn't have been matt sisk no <laughs> correct <laughs> and it was I, I it's still one of my top five games of all time probably the original xcom really yeah i'd that say it's, high, huh? i'd say it's better than Everything released on the Wii. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that 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 means it, that makes sense that it's in the top five. Then I played through it just a few years ago while living on the boat to avoid raking. <laughs> That's what I did with my spare time was played through XCOM and I sank. It's about 180 hours into it. Wow. On Steam, and I bet I had at least that much back when it originally came out. So I've put over that much time into one game that I can think of in my entire life, and that was Elder Scrolls Oblivion, which came out just as I graduated college and I had a bunch of free time. Not even WoW, huh? Because you played a good amount of WoW back then. I in played the day, a good right? amount of WoW, but I don't. I never played for that long consecutively. So, like, I probably played for the first year a lot, and then 
I was off and on for several years after that. Maybe I beat it with WoW. Okay, thank you for making me a liar. <laughs> <laughs> just try to just try to keep you honest. 180 hours twice. Yeah. And once the next morning. The graphics probably will turn a lot of people off, but uh, if, if everyone should give it a shot. It's always on sale on Steam for, for two bucks. So yeah, it's because it's it. a 30-year-old game. <laughs> and it's fantastic. Got a terrible user <laughs> interface. Interesting. Patrick, you love this franchise. Burns, I don't think you had played much beyond a little Anime Unknown when it first came out. Correct. I, I, I don't think I ever played the original on PC um i, I knew did. about I, it when it came out but i played a couple of hours one weekend and like the user interface was just so clunky and i bought it digitally so like it didn't come with a manual i'm sure with the manual that explained how what all the buttons did maybe it's a little bit better experience yeah um so yeah i played a good amount of enemy unknown when it came out and then i do like strategy games in general strategy strategy is such a weird genre to define because it like goes all the way over to like civilization and things yeah. like that and then also like your real-time strategy games get lumped into that um like a tactical turn-based strategy like this uh i've i've played before i played enemy unknown i hadn't played a ton of games like that i played like a very little bit of final fantasy tactics um aside from that i can't think of tons of games that are in that sort of vein that I would have played at that point. Well, what about like Fire Emblem? You played a fair amount of that. That's a, that's since well, since I played Enemy Unknown. So Enemy Unknown was like the first kind of like real tactical game I jumped into at, uh, but like when that released, that was kind of the first time I had really gone into much of that. And I did enjoy it a lot. Um, it was, I tried to, um, leading up to the podcast, I tried to, go back to it, the save that I had. And I think I mentioned that on one of our podcasts at one point. And uh, it's one of those things where I, like I started like researching stuff. Like I was something finished. So I was like, okay, well, what do I research? I look at all these things. I was like, I don't know what half this stuff is. And then I went on a mission and when I had to deploy troops to it, I was just like, oh, that's probably why I quit. Cause like all of my people are gravely wounded. <laughs> Should have just restarted, dude. I restarted for this podcast and it was awesome. Yeah. Like Enemy Unknown is so good. I love tactical uh turn-based games. Final Fantasy Tactics is my favorite game of all time, and it is frankly just much better than XCOM. <laughs> much better than the original XCOM. And anyone who disagrees is an absolute fool. You gotta dive in, man. You can't put an hour or two into the original XCOM and not without knowing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm good. I'm pretty sure I'm all set. <laughs> In XCOM 2, the aliens won when they first invaded 20 years ago. You're tasked with building a resistance and overthrowing your genetically enhanced alien overlords. Along the way, you're going to build a base and send an army of troops to die in tactical missions. Along the way, you'll prioritize research topics, reverse engineer alien technology, and try to thwart the aliens' master plans. So, Tom, I wanted to ask a question here before you jump to the next bit here. How jarring was it after finishing Enemy Unknown... And doing extremely well at Enemy Unknown, winning the day, but then finding out once you start XCOM 2, hey, guess what? You failed, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was weird. It was jarring. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's video games, so it's not that big a deal to me. It's like, oh, all right, well, this is the new pretense that I'm working on. Whatever. What I found more jarring was that they took a central character, central from the first <laughs> game, and made him younger and much more bad. 
in the second game and like suddenly he's like this hardcore combat dude when he was just like a pencil pusher in the original game that was actually more jarring than the entire premise for me i mean lots of things happened in that time frame you know sometimes people do age gracefully He's like he's like uh, Brad Pitt or George Clooney. He got on keto diet. <laughs> <laughs> we got a comedian over here. <laughs> XCOM 2 has two essential layers. There's base building or research and tactical missions where you guide a squad through the field. Patrick, as the longtime fan of the series, which of these areas held more appeal for you? Tactical missions, for sure. Like, maybe you guys disagree, but I think you can F up base building a little bit and it won't ruin your entire game. I think if you keep effing up soldier deployment and tactics, you're doomed. Because you can run out of money and you can't re- recruit any more dudes. Yeah, I get that. Burns, which of those two areas did you glom onto more? So I I remember from the first game not... I didn't really like the base building in the first game that much because it's pretty pretty basic, right? Um, I think there was a little bit more choice in the first game of like you had to either build this or that because you didn't really have enough resources to build everything or enough space to build everything. Um, But in the second game, I think the aspect of it, like the base building itself, as it was, is pretty, pretty much the same as the first game from what I remember it. There's some differences, but it's it's pretty similar. Like you research things and unlock more buildings to build in there and so on and so forth. It's similar. The one thing that's missing is there's a lot of synergies in the first game. Like if you put laboratories next to to each other, they become more efficient. If you put things, if you clump things together, they were much more efficient. And this in XCOM 2, it didn't really matter what you built. You just needed one of everything. Basically, It was more so you just need to have engineers to put into the build the rooms to make them excuse me, better. Yep. Um, the aspect of that portion of the game that I actually really enjoyed is like the map setup of the game and kind of the, the whole idea of influence building and connecting all of these separate resistance movements together, like by like the map based on wherever you start and having to connect to all these things and grow your influence out. Like that's the aspect of this that I actually thought was really interesting. And I thought it was one of the most disappointing aspects of the game. Really? (laughs) In enemy unknown, you have a lot more to balance. Like you have to put up satellites and you have to have different mini bases with your ships stationed around the world to shoot down UFOs. In this game, it's a lot more streamlined. Like you start in your spot and then you grow your network outwards where in enemy unknown, I felt like you're trying to balance the needs of the entire world at once and it's like i only have so much money like am i gonna recruit new troops so i can have a full squad am i gonna try to upgrade some gear or am i gonna put up this satellite so that brazil doesn't freak out and leave the council and yeah. slash my funding and i think here the difference is less it, it, it's more so i mean obviously it's the opposite way because you're trying to rebuild your influence as opposed to maintain your influence in the first game but i think it's reversed because the more you spread your network out, the more funding you end up getting. Uh, and the more like the clo- and you have to build your, you have to build out your influence in some directions in order to actually get to some of the missions that you have to take down in order to stop like the bad thing from happening at the end of the game. Um, and they seem to force that, as you guys notice. Yeah, they definitely yeah. force the it. The next were- facility was always on the, the next space yep. that I hadn't reached yet. Or like the one after, like yeah. what you need to connect to yet. Yeah. Right. So I think there, I think there was some coding in there based around that. But I, I, I don't know. I really liked and enjoyed the aspect of 
like sort of starting in the one spot, which for each of us was a different spot. Which I, I was, was in North America. I was in Africa, Asia. Yeah, and so I I started basically in Egypt. Um, or Saudi Arabia, and then sort of built out through the rest of Africa and then up into Europe and over to South America. Uh, and I, I don't know, I, I thought that that aspect of it was pretty interesting and neat. And I found myself wanting to focus on that more than the other pieces that kept getting in the way <laughs> of playing that game, which is interesting to me because I wasn't really expecting that going in. How long did it take you guys to figure out that if you got an entire continent, you got a bonus? Probably mid-game. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> I, so I saw the little thing saying you get something, but I didn't fully understand what I needed to do to to actually right. get it um, until, yeah, probably, well, late game for me, <laughs> um, which was mid-game for you guys. <laughs> Uh, and the switch, I just hovered over it, and like it told me, but like it took me a while to notice the those boxes were there with the different boots. And then I was like, oh, all right, well, I'm gonna build up my entire network and get as much money as I can. And then I wound up with just an untold amount of supplies by the end of the game. Yeah, I didn't quite get to that point, unfortunately. <laughs> well, let's set up the base building itself a little bit more. You have your resistance is based on an alien ship that the resistance has repurposed. You have a head scientist who does research projects to unlock new upgrades and a chief engineer who builds them. You're balancing money, power, time, and soldier recovery time. Pat, where does the XCOM base building rank among strategy games for you, and how did you prioritize your upgrades? I severely neglected my base building, <laughs> I will say. Like I said, I didn't put hardly any thought or strategy into it all. I just picked uh, the, the next base building that was available. So I put all my research really into keeping my soldiers alive. Weapons first, armor second, and then uh, like mission critical, research third. That's probably the better way than to do armor first. Because armor helps... But if you take damage from the armor, your guys are still wounded for X amount of days anyway. Yeah, the best defense is a good offense. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's one of those things because that time really does freaking hurt you. Mm. Because like that's the biggest constraint in this game. It's not necessarily access to supplies. Because even early on, you feel like you kind of have enough to make a decent amount of the things work. Not for me. I always needed more. Always needed more money. <laughs> I, I I don't know. It's like frustration A. Bring it on. <laughs> you get your you get your supplies for the month, right? You don't just get it. You have to go somewhere and sit there for three days to collect <laughs> the freaking supplies. Yes. And it's like we're in this huge advanced flying fortress. Does it really take me three freaking days to get 200 supplies? Like, seriously? We don't have, like, space loaders that can just, like, move the stuff up there super quick? Or a teleporter that just whoop, whoop? I mean, like, honestly, does it really take that long for me to get this money? And... Every freaking time, without fail, the game interrupts you Halfway and through. has to send you somewhere else. <laughs> yep, so it's like, you correct. got some of your supplies, but now go to this Gorilla Ops. And it's just like, th so that's the thing. It's just like every moment there was an interruption taking you somewhere else. And it's just like, let me like finish one thing first. And I get that that's like showing it's like this whole unpredictability of everything but it's predictably unpredictable <laughs> like i knew it was going to get interrupted and i knew it was going to be almost as yep. far away as i needed to fly to get there so it's just that much more time that gets eaten away and it's like 
I don't know. It's just, uh, yeah. Let's keep going about base building. Burns, you are having a ball with this game. Uh, uh, coming back to research, I took a different approach from Patrick. I always focused on the quickest research first. I have done this going back to Enemy Unknown. Like I always did the quickest thing first because I found there were a lot of hidden synergies. You research this thing and then you get a credit on this other research thing and then the more expensive or the slower things tend to go faster so like i honestly i wasn't even paying attention a lot of the times to what i was researching <laughs> it's just like oh this one's three days this one's five days three days every single time and if there was a tie and i had to decide between things then i would focus on lethality and like try to give myself the most firepower first and then i could clean up the other things i feel like they missed an opportunity with research the uh the alien corpses I felt really should have given you like a combat bonus. Like you just do one or two extra damage. Because then I would have prioritized them a lot. Like against that species. Really I left them for last in almost every case. You do get a bonus. Do you? But you get that bonus after you invest time in another yeah. area to build out the thing. And sometimes it's an upgrade that takes up one of your like very coveted slots on your dudes. Yeah. Other times, it's luckily a like an actual like enhancement to that group, so that that they just get better, right? Yeah, yeah. So you kill the robot dudes, you get a bonus to the um, I can't remember what it's called, but the the, the drone, gremlin, the gremlin, yeah. You get a bonus to the gremlin that all specialists. Yeah, have. as is each corpse that you research gives you like a new tech that yeah. you can then research after the corpse, right? And then maybe build if it's worth your while and you have the the info, but exactly. I just, like, there was a time when, uh, who was it? Andromedons? Is that what they were called? Advent? Uh, no, Andromedons. <laughs> the dudes in the suit. That's, yeah, there yeah. was a time when they were just in my nemesis, right? I they were really hard when they were. Yeah, yeah. And so if, Until they stop attacking you, then they're not so difficult. <laughs> if, if I could have researched them for their damage bonus, I would have prioritized right, right away. But for some mysterious tech that I would get afterward that uh -huh. I didn't know if I needed or not, I just didn't even go that far. Yeah. XCOM 2, Tech Unknown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this was really disappointing for me. I thought that the whole base building and research was such a step back from the predecessor. I I thought there were just a lot of interesting choices that you had to make an enemy unknown. And in this game, it's really just build up your money, buy one of everything. Yeah. It, that doesn't feel particularly strategic to me, other than, you know, the pursuit to make money, which we can all relate to in everyday life. Or even the turret room was so, <laughs> oh, that's so virtually funny. pointless. There's... A, I'm glad you brought this up. There is a room that you can put in your ship. It is like this defense matrix or something. And they say that you yeah. can use it if there's a landing party. One mission in the game. One mission in the game. A UFO is going to come and like shoot down your big ship. And you have to defend it. It's the only time you use that room. <laughs> right. And like I had fully upgraded it. So like I had my four turrets out there. It's like, oh, great. And like I, some of my DLC content, let me really cheese that mission. I just, there's a thing at the far end of the board that you have to blow up. And all these waves of dudes are coming to try to get to the, uh, what's the name of the ship? Yeah, the Avenger. The Avenger. And uh, so like my Icarus armor from the Archon King let me warp all the way across the board, dropped a grenade on the thing, boom, that objective's done. Just have to get everyone back. Oh, warp back. <laughs> Mission accomplished. I am so glad I built that room. <laughs> Patrick, how was your experience with the uh, turret room? Uh, just as pointless. <laughs> like, I hadn't even researched the uh, what you needed to have that room by the time I got to that mission. So when I got there, they, I guess they let me know of my failure. And they said, if you had research turrets, you could have used them here. <laughs> but you don't get them. And so then I had to do that whole mission uh, without turrets. 
And without invincible Iron Man armor. <laughs> well, it wasn't even that the armor was invincible. Enemies had just stopped attacking me at that point. But we'll get into that just a touch later. <laughs> One mission. You had a room that you could upgrade and, like, put an engineer in and, like, upgrade again. One mission. <laughs> so frustrating. Well, speaking of the missions, on the tactical missions, you get to send squads of four to six soldiers off to abduct or rescue VIPs, to hack terminals, or blow up strategic points. Burns, as someone who doesn't play a lot of strategy games, was there enough mission variety for you? Oh, I've played plenty of strategy games, Tom. You're not going to turn this Casey joke around on me. <laughs> uh, maybe I haven't finished Final, Final Fantasy Tactics like you have, or uh, Enemy Unknown like you have, but I've played plenty of strategy games. Hey, you've named the two that I've beaten. Awesome. Yeah, see? I see, I know. And yeah, XCOM I, too. I appreciate you, yeah. Burns. Yeah, see? Um, ultimately, I felt that the tactical gameplay was the weakest link of this experience by far for me. Um, which stinks because it's supposed to be the focus of the gameplay. It's supposed to be the meat. And my take, just a real quick aside, is more up and down. Like, I thought I had some high highs, but I was also often disappointed by it. That's where I'm at. So... Here's here's where I'm at with it. Other than the concealment feature... And let's set that up. When you start most missions, your troops are all concealed, so you can get into position, which was actually one of my gripes with Enemy Unknown. Like, you're just walking along, and then, like, you stumble on a pod of enemies, and then, like, oh, they're aware, and then, like, everybody scrambles to cover. In this game, you're actually concealed, and you can set up tactical points before the enemy knows where you are in most missions. Right. Which is fine, but... You only ever get, and you get in a, if you're in concealment, you get a bonus to the, it's either to hit or to damage the dudes when you shoot at them. I, I, think, I think it's, it's chance to, to hit. I think it's chance to hit. Yeah. You get a bonus if you're in concealment yep. and you shoot. One guy, one of your troops is the only one that's going to get that bonus. Because once that one person shoots, everybody else runs. You could set up to shoot them with Overwatch afterwards. But Overwatch is already a negative to hit, and they're already <laughs> alert. So they're and they're moving. So it's you don't get that. You get that bonus for one friggin' guy, which is dumb to me. <laughs> tell me, you tell me, you could set up ambushes. That's exactly what I was gonna say. With one guy, <laughs> you can set up an ambush with one guy. Then everybody else is shooting on <laughs> Overwatch like they would be the rest of the game. That's the one frustrating thing. Give me the opportunity to actually set up an ambush and say. I'm going to tell all of these guys to shoot in an ambush. When the final guy shoots, they all shoot at the same time. They all get the bonus. Like, let me actually use this the strategic way that you probably would use it and not just have to lie in wait somewhere for them to come at you. Plus, half the time when you have concealment, <laughs> like, you got to run all the way across the board anyway. It's not like you could sit and lay in wait for a patrol to come at you because you have, like... 10 turns to get way further than you could do if you were actually slow playing it in concealment. I totally understand where you're coming from, and I think it's a valid point. But I will add on top of it that as your troops get better, like their aim gets better, and it becomes... For me, I was mowing people down in those ambushes with Overwatch. Between having a sharpshooter with the advanced scope on it to having uh, heavies that are a little bit closer, I yeah. think that was mitigated as your troops got a bit more experience. Right. And and sometimes I'd get lucky and the Overwatch would succeed a couple of times. Other times the first freaking guy misses. So you don't even get that bonus. And then everybody else misses on their Overwatch. And you're just <laughs> like, okay, well, now we're just sitting here and they get to act against me. And so it, it just... 
too often it never it didn't turn out to be as much of an advantage as you would think it would be if you were actually legitimately setting up like a tactical ambush. And so that was the big complaint I had with that. Otherwise, some of the mission structures are different than the first game. But from what I remember, otherwise, it's mostly a lot of the same thing. You have some new dudes that you're fighting that have different abilities. But if you're looking at the base game, there wasn't a lot of variety to me. And and ultimately, it really just became, okay, this is either going to be a mission where I got to go get to a spot and get something. Or I got to go get a VIP or escort a VIP to somewhere. Or I have to go rescue a resistance camp that's getting obliterated. And you just sit there after you move like three steps and aggro like 80 people. And then you just get to see all the civilians getting shot everywhere else on the enemy's turn. Let me share a quick anecdote in that same vein. Did you guys have any of those, uh, they call them retaliation missions, retaliation missions with chrysalids? Those are the... Uh, I don't like, remember if I had them on They're big spider dudes, and they will impregnate the people that they kill, and more oh, chrysalids will pop out. And so I had that exact same experience as you. Whoops, I just knocked over Han Solo. Where <laughs> I'm watching the civilians get murdered, and then suddenly three chrysalids are popping up out of mm. them. So I went from having like 12 enemies to like 36, I think I wound up wiping up no. in that mission. Miraculously, all of my dudes ended up surviving, and that... I believe I was still being attacked at that point. So miraculously, I came out of that mission. Everyone got promoted. It's like, wow, that was that was actually one of the high points. It was super frustrating to fail the mission because like, I failed it on like turn two Yeah. because uh, I just couldn't get to the civilians. <laughs> Big map. They're spread out all over the place. Some of them are hidden enemies. Others are being impregnated. And like, it's just crazy. Yeah. I, so there just wasn't enough of an evolution in what I was doing from a mission to mission standpoint that made it feel like it was rewarding to continue to do those missions. And so that that's kind of where I became a little frustrated with this as a sequel, where it was like, I want to see like them do new and interesting things. And it seems like in the DLC that you played, from what we've talked about, they did a little bit more of those types of things. Well, they did two key things. Uh, the two DLCs that I am going to talk about, and if you are interested in XCOM 2, like I consider these must purchases. Yeah. Like you must get a bundle with these and they are crazy expensive outside of it. I got my entire XCOM 2 bundle on Switch for like $3 on sale. And that was XCOM 2, XCOM 2 Enemy Unknown and like four smaller DLC packs. We looked at the prices just the other day. Pat, do you remember what they were on Steam for Alien Hunters and Shen's Left last gift? Like 30 bucks each. 30 bucks each. Yeah. That was one mission, one unit and some extra bosses. Oh my God. So... Shen's last gift is a storyline that ties back to XCOM Enemy Unknown. There's a relative of your engineer from that game in XCOM 2. And so you go and do this mission, and you end up getting a new unit out of it, a robotic unit, which is pretty cool. But the mission itself is the most interesting thing that I've played in XCOM. You go in with your squad. I was just beginning the game, so I had a squad of four soldiers. Big mistake. Big mistake. <laughs> it's There are three stages to this mission, and if you wipe in any of them, it'll like checkpoint you back to the beginning of that stage. So I lose a soldier on the first stage. So I'm down to two snipers and like one rookie or squatty ranger. Uh, the end of the first and second fit parts of this mission, you have to get to an elevator to shoot further up the facility, and there's an endless wave of dudes marching at you. So, like, you have to hold a position while slowly moving your squad up, and after one dude goes up, like, the enemies are going to act again, and you have to just try to survive that meat grinder. And it was just the most interesting mission that I'd played in either XCOM game, and it's unfortunate that it's buried as DLC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Uh, the other one, Alien Hunters, is really wacky because we were talking about our experiences early on in this, and I, yeah, I've got these bosses <laughs> popping up all over the place, and you guys are like, oh, I hope I see one. Soon. You're asking us when we've we're, we've reached that boss yet? We're like, I don't know, not yet. Yeah, like I definitely <laughs> wanted to talk about it. You guys not played the game? It's right. like I'm, I'm 15 hours in, yeah. I haven't seen anything. Like it was at the beginning of the game for me. So the Alien Hunter DLC sends you on one unique mission, which is nothing spectacular. There's, uh, it was my first encounter with bad ai like there's a boss fight at the end of that where you encounter the first of these alien bosses it's like a big bad snake dude he's got all these minions and there's like a dozen of them on screen and it turns out when there's more than five enemies on screen like they disincentivize attacking you so like i was watching mm. these snakes like which are usually a pain because they'll, they'll grab your dudes yep. out of cover and like expose them and hold them and keep them from acting and they're like just running around I'm like, oh all right well i guess concentrate all fire on the boss and uh the bosses have something like 40 or 50 hit points. Like, it is crazy long hit points. And after you do so much damage to them, they open a portal and they're gone. Oh, really? (laughs) And then they just randomly pop up in missions throughout. And they... <laughs> they have all those hit points. They have great abilities. Like the snake has the pull you out of ability. They're always lurking just beyond the objective. So like, say you need to go hack a ter- terminal. Well, you go, you run up there with someone, you hit the button. Instantly, the snake wakes up, grabs them, yanks them out of cover. <laughs> so if your group isn't positioned there, it's just you have to like fight off whoever you're already fighting off. Go get the boss. Hope that you do enough damage to him before anyone dies. There are three of these bosses, and it just introduced so much chaos into the game and it was it was awesome like it was super frustrating because they were just demolishing my soldiers they get to act after each single activation so like oh it's like oh i woke up the boss oh crap try to run away boss activates shoot boss activates other dude try to run into position boss activates (laughs) oh so it's even in between like your one little thing like because you get two actions yep so every single (laughs) action and like if you shoot for your first action that character is done it's like you better hope you're in cover and you have a good line of sight on this guy (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then you know it's several encounters before you can get them down because of all those hit points except there's a weapon upgrade you can get that gives you a chance of instant kill either 5 10 or 15 percent based on i think it's the hair trigger weapon upgrade and that will trigger on the bosses too so like the the third boss, the King of the Archons, like super duper frustrating because like he has great mobility. He's all over the board. He can summon these flaming pinions that will attack everyone on your squad. <laughs> it's just there's such a pain to deal with. And like he was maybe down five, ten hit points, and boom, he's dead. Oh, nice. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Good. That pain in the butt's eliminated. Coming back to the mission variety, huge disappointment in this game. Granted, XCOM Enemy Unknown, which I cherish, didn't have great variety. Yeah. But they were so polished and so well done, and there were so few frustrating things other than like, oh, well, too many dudes got hit too many times. Bummer, I lost a guy. This game, like, it just... I got so frustrated having to go hack a terminal. Like, so many missions take place on train yards. Like, their love of the locomotive in this game is just <laughs> insane. <laughs> so many trains in the future. And again, at Alien Alien Invasion Force uses railways <laughs> to <laughs> deliver deliver goods and services throughout the nation. It's like, it's it must be the best logistical choice. Right. You know, we had it right in Warren the Buffett was right. He invested in that long ago. He saw the inv- alien invasion coming. Yeah. Clearly the most efficient means of transportation in the galaxy. Yeah. 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 Clearly. Yeah, there are like there's like six different mission types and you repeat those six 100 times. <laughs> Throughout, yeah. throughout the game it's brutal like it was fun having the bosses to like kind of mix it up and to make it more challenging but once those boxes bosses were gone i was really disappointed with the mission variety in this and 
friends you brought up yeah. that this is a sequel like you know that's an issue that can be forgiven in something smaller scope and like the first step yeah again it just felt like a step back from enemy unknown yeah so, it's it's i don't know and it, it's I have other frustrations with the missions, too. <laughs> Before you get into them, there's one other thing that I wanted to mention. Early on in the game, we talked about the <clears throat> struggle of trying to balance everything and soldiers losing. There were times in the missions early on, this was actually a high point for me, where the best option was just to cut bait and to yeah. get the F out of there with the soldiers that were still alive. Because you could call in an emergency evac. One of my favorite moments in this game, there was a mission. It went south on me, like... I had my sniper who was with me almost the entire game was still alive. My top grenadier got knocked out. Everyone else was dead. And I'm like, just grab this dude, summon the Sky Ranger, and get the hell out of here and hope that I can survive the next mission. That was a real highlight of this experience for me. But generally speaking, the mission variety was just bland and boring. Yeah. Do you want to get into grape number two, or should we go into unit types? No, I mean we can we can talk about it now because I, I already know from some of the discussion on Discord that I'm probably going to get lambasted for this, but the I I I do feel that the RNG is not <laughs> very well done in this game. It's not. It doesn't feel like it's balanced between the sides. Like it, it definitely feels like if I have a ninety-five percent chance to hit, <laughs> and if I think the aliens would have a ninety-five percent chance to hit, I miss. I hit that five percent miss rate a lot more than the freaking aliens do, and so that that's the other thing. And granted, like the first XCOM, I think had that issue as well. Uh, the RNG can kind of take it over. And I know like the counter that we you had earlier when we were talking about this was, well, you get things that can, you know, increase your hit rate and stuff like that. But if you hit those stumbles early on in the game, like when you need it, like, I don't know. It just so many times it feels like this game compounds down upon you when you're struggling <laughs> As opposed to like giving you opportunities to sort of right the right the ship, um, and and pull things back and save it from like going bad, um, there just doesn't really seem like there's a lot of those opportunities. Like for instance, I had one mission where you had to go across the map and it had to hack a terminal basically in order to get this security thing, and that was what the whole mission was was revolving around. And so really, I just needed to get a, uh, my specialist close enough to be able to send the drone, the gremlin over to hack the terminal. And so had to lay eyes on it. <clears throat> exactly. <laughs> and you know, you find the mobs as you're going through and you, you take them out kind of piece by piece. And then it's just like, just more of them come. And, and so it's like, okay, well that's fine. I can get to this. I can run from there and so on and so forth. But then, you know, they drop down reinforcements on you at the same time. And it's right behind where you have to go to get to the thing. And like, I get a game trying to be difficult, right? And I get that it was a difficult mission was what it said on the, on the mission strategy at the start, you know, or the mission description at the start. But like, it's just, it, it seriously was just being a dick to be a dick. And like the, <laughs> The analog that I have for this is that it's like you're playing in a D&D game with an a-hole GM. <laughs> Patrick, was this like playing in D&D with me? I'd say that's a good analogy. <laughs> because because Get out. any opportunity that they have to just take any option of choice away from you, they'll do it. And then any opportunity they have to punish you for a decision that you make, it's going to do that. And then with impunity... 
And that that's like what this game just started feeling like at times is it's just like no matter what I do, like I can't control if the dice are going to roll a one and I'm going to miss this dude. I can try to control my tactics, but even then they're just going to drop guys on top of me anyway. So what's the point in even playing at that point? Like that's that's just kind of what it got to with me. I got pretty frustrated with the missions just seeming to pull out all the stops to just like screw me in the face. And I kind of just got sick of it and was just like, you know what? I have other things to play that I'm going to enjoy more and I'm just going to do that instead. <laughs> because well, especially once it got to the point where all of my really good troops are either dead or gravely wounded and to the point where the next mission I have, it's going to be all rookies. That's going to go well. Um, I have one squatty or one person that's a rookie trying to become a squatty so that I'll have one person that's upgraded. Um, but I know it's going to I know it's going to be a failure. And so it's like, do I want to just do the slow death march to death or do I just want to play something else that I enjoy? And so that's that's kind of what it got down to. It's just and the missions just really dragged me down. I was enjoying like other aspects of the game, which think- is sad. Do you think that that is the kind of inner dialogue that Brian had with Tales from the Borderlands? No, because I just spoke for longer than he played that game. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, now Patrick and I are going to have a discussion on the some of the finer details of this game. I mean, I can still contribute to aspects of this because there's some things that I, I did like about it. And I do like aspects of it. I just wish it would have... Not so you, much. You would have preferred like a, a marshmallowy soft DM running your <laughs> yeah, XCOM that, experience. Just someone that's gonna maybe pull the punches a little <laughs> bit, or not even pull the punches, but just not keep piling on. To, to speak for the Discord chat, you seem surprised that a difficult mission was difficult, and a ninety percent chance of success also had a ten percent chance of failure. <laughs> no, but it's like when I take those ninety percent chances to hit. And I'm not hitting a 9 out of 10 of them. Out of 10 times I do that, I miss on 5 of them. <laughs> Something just seems a bit off, and I know probability that can happen. But but then at the same time, an alien is shooting at me with a gun that it shoots through two freaking walls and just criticals my guy and kills him. It's just like, <laughs> you got to be freaking kidding me. And if that happened only once, you know, that happens once. No, happens multiple times. Those aliens are freaking lethal. Yeah. yeah and are. so then a mission that would normally take you 30 minutes, it's like I could sit here and save scum for two and a half hours and actually maybe find a way to get out of this with most of my guys somewhat intact and somewhat completing the mission, or I could just live my life. I could live my life. <laughs> There are four types of soldiers in XCOM 2. Sharpshooters, specialists with drones, rangers, and grenadiers. Which classes were your favorite and what was your preferred party composition, Patrick? Well, you forgot my favorite, which is Psy Operatives. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because it, well, they become a class when you research them. Like, it's, a, it's a little wonky how Psy Operatives worked in this game versus Enemy Unknown. Because in Enemy Unknown, you tested all your soldiers and like some were size and some were not. And like then if they were psionically gifted, you could give them special abilities. Do they lose their classes in this game? I didn't actually research any Psy sold operatives until like the last mission. I, I always train them from rookies. I don't even know if it's possible to train them when they've uh, elevated enough to, to have a class. No, you're right. Okay. Yeah, I started at rookies. And th- I thought they were nice because you could train them and you didn't gain experience through kills, which is how you 
level up every other class. I literally had no idea that that was the case. Yeah, you. you I knew that from, you kept training them in between missions if they didn't get wounded, and that they, excuse me, gained new abilities. Yeah, they can they can go from zero to whatever, one hundred percent fully trained without f- fighting a single battle, which is so really you, nice. Did you even bring them into battle at that point, or were you just waiting until they were fit, fully cooked to send them out? I would bring them out once they had a. There were a few key abilities that. I'll get into why I really like them. They were they really opened up the game and turned it into more of a finesse game. They had a stasis, which would just make any uh, any character, friendly or enemy, you couldn't interact with it whatsoever, which was really great for just locking down. I'd usually use it to lock down their best guy on the board right then, a gatekeeper or a sectopod, and then mop up all the minions. And then they won't attack you. You can't attack it either while it's in stasis, but... Uh, that's fine. You can get in position and to like, yeah. Then you just light it up next turn. Yeah. The other, my other favorite was domination, which is where you just mind control a, a enemy and get it for the rest of that. Mission. What was the success rate for domination? Like, what was it on screen and what was it in practicality? <laughs> that one I only used when my guys were fully trained, and uh, it it was really high. A success rate against a, a gatekeeper, which is probably the best enemy you could fight, was eighty percent, and. Uh, Everything else was 90 to 100%. So and why did I, you it, just it use side operatives for every single mission? Well, I didn't have them. Uh, I, I went through it legit the first time, and I had only had one that was like half trained by the time I got to the final mission. But just because I liked that side operative so much, I trained six. And then, then I did that. I went through the final series of missions with six side operatives. You, you can only dominate one enemy per mission. But even then, like, think about it. You go into a mission, there's usually a dozen bad guys. If you bring six Psy operatives, you take six of them. <laughs> They're six best. Now you've got 12 units. <laughs> They've got six. And it's the worst ones. Interesting. Uh, I Something interesting happened to me in the last mission of this game that I don't know if it was a bug or if that's the way the game was intended to operate, but I mind-controlled an advent-like soldier in the second-to-last board, and like I ran to hit the button to get into the last area, and he was just a member of my squad permanently for the last last stage of the last board. Uh, just an interesting, weird thing that happened to me. Oh. And I don't think I was using a side operative, so I don't know how I actually mind-controlled him. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, maybe there was a tech that did mind control. It was it with your commander's avatar, or was it oh, not there yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah that was with okay. the commander's avatar, yeah. <laughs> which was also dumb. But uh, we'll maybe get there. So, <laughs> when you weren't using psi operatives, Patrick, what was your preferred like loadout for your team? On a six-person squad, it was three grenadiers, which I thought were essential. They <laughs> they're so versatile. They were, and like they had more grenades, and almost every enemy that you fight had some form of armor, and you needed those grenades to shred the armor. Yeah, and assuming you and I upgraded them the same way, I, I always thought one upgrade was al- almost always better than the other option as you gain levels. But yeah, they would uh, give the rest of your squad like increased chance to hit. They would shred armor. Like they would do extra grenade damage, and you could just you could destroy any cover they were in. They had Burns, huge area of effect. Burns, you targeting. That would have been the <laughs> ability that changed this game for you, probably. Because you can set a grenadier. One of their upgrade abilities: if they shoot at an enemy, everyone gets an aim bonus against them, like plus fifteen percent, nice. and they stack. So three grenadiers, and you target their boss or their the best mm, bad so guy. It's getting plus forty five percent against for everyone else who targets it. Burns, you had a. Preference for the Rangers. They were ultra mobile and they had a cool melee attack. Yeah. Did I steal your thunder? Is that why you like them? Yeah. No, I. 
really, if you break it down, they have a hundred percent chance to hit with their melee on pretty much everything. Not true. They, <laughs> on a lot of a lot of the things, they like can you get with... into you get into harder, you get into some of the beefier stuff. It's maybe like a ninety-five percent. I think there was one guy I ran into in one mission. It would have been eighty percent if I would have tried to melee it. I saw eighty percent, and I did have enemies counter and actually take a melee attack, not let my ranger attack. Oh, really? Interesting. Okay. Yeah, those are mostly mutons. I don't know if it's a special <clears throat> muton ability or what. Gotcha. It could be. Um, but I know I did take down at least one muton with them, but, uh, uh, I don't know. I thought that they were nice and plus their shotguns actually did a decent amount of damage when you hit. Um, it, it felt like, so I, I actually did, I'd always try to have at least one ranger in my group. I always had one ranger too. He had one of the boss armors. The first boss that you fight is a snake and you get some armor that increases uh, movement and like agility. And so that was my ranger. He also had DLC acts that he had with him. So like he was always on the front line for me. Yeah. And, and so I would, I would always have one of them in the party. I would usually have a grenadier in the party. Um, and then uh, my sniper was my best my sniper was the only one that never died, so my sniper was my best troop, so he was always in there if he wasn't wounded. Mine um, too. Mine's nickname was Ace. Yeah. <laughs> Fitting for my best unit. Um, and then I, I had a specialist I really liked, so when I had a four-person party, I would try to mix and match it. Um, the first mission when I unlocked the five-person party, I only had four healthy people, so I could just <laughs> send four. Um, and then now, um, I think I did one mission with a five-person party after that. Is it a fulfilling mechanic that you have to build a room in your base and then upgrade that room to unlock bigger parties? Or is that just a hassle? Because it, it was the same way in Enemy Unknown. You needed to build a facility and then pay more money on top of it to unlock the bigger squad. Like, you have to have the six-person squad. Like, Burns, I'm not surprised you had such a crappy experience with this game having not unlocked the full squad size. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I get having hurdles for some of those things. Like you want to, you want people to earn it instead of just giving them it. Um, it's just whether they unlock those things at the rate that they're going to need those to actually proceed through the game in a reliable manner, I think. Um, I think it'd be more interesting if they gated it the other way. Like at the end of the game, they forced you into smaller squad sizes where your dudes were bigger and more powerful and had a higher probability of success than running four rookies. Yeah. I mean, it, it would make more sense if you're trying to actually, like, build towards making things more difficult at the end instead of basically giving you it, hey, once you get to a certain point, you have the power fantasy of nothing can stop you. Um, or even the original XCOM, I thought, handled it better. And that one, you upgraded your dropship, and that gave you, like, higher uh, And by original capacity. XCOM, you don't mean Enemy Unknown. You mean 1994. 1994. Yeah. You started out with a crappy dropship. You upgraded that. It could just carry more troops, and that's how they handled it, which seems more realistic and that's less, so less of a gamey sensible. hassle. Yeah. Why on earth did Firaxis do it in a different way? Well, because, you know, until you have a room to tell you how to fight with more people, <laughs> right. you just don't know how to make it work with more than four. Like, once you build the room to have a fourth person on the podcast, like, before that, we can't do it. <laughs> so... Remember the first time that you and I set up in the uh, guest bedroom and like we were on a coffee table yep. and like you're trying to sit on an exercise ball. <laughs> yep. I asked you about your testicles. Yep. Yeah. And there was times at the dining room table too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah your yeah. soldiers go into the room. They have team building exercises. Yeah, exactly. And then they get along better with the new guy. Yeah. <laughs> like all right. Curtis. One of them. One of them lost a bet. Walks out with in. a tattoo that says Pat plus butt on it. <laughs> yeah. You know. Did you guys name your troops? 
No, not one. I, I not either. I would have, but I didn't realize you could do it until most of the way through, and by then I, I already had a, a affinity for who they were. <laughs> well, you did that in the first game, didn't you? Didn't you name everyone after the, your uh, friends? Yeah, and I did it in Darkest Dungeon, too, which really... I mentioned before, helps you really try it harder to keep them alive, and I wish I had done it this game. I, I, I named their guns. You can do that as well. I had no idea you can name their and you guns. You can design their guns, give them like tiger stripes and colors. Oh, in the in the actual character creator? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because yep. I saw that that was there, and I thought... And so it's an interesting concept, because outside of the game, you build... You can build characters out, and I don't know... like supposedly you can download them from somewhere. Oh, really? So there's a DLC pack that has a bunch of customization. So I wonder if you could get like packs and someone out there has created the rock and Hulk Hogan and (laughs) Kevin Hart from Jumanji (laughs) or whatever. Like it'd be interesting to see if people have actually like created real people or like fictional people in there. I think it's mostly just dumb stuff. Like I had a dude with a ski mask. Gotcha. Otherwise, there's a Mohawk person, some different face mask options. It's an interesting idea, though, because then they get added to the character pool. I don't know if that means that they're always going to be available to recruit or if they'll just randomly pop up. I'm not sure how exactly that works when you add them to the game, but um, I don't know. It seemed interesting. I didn't mess around with it at all. Yeah, I kind of like I kind of like getting to know the people you have like as they level up. So like once they get their call sign after they rank up the third or fourth time and it's like, okay, yeah, this guy's Hawkeye. He's my, he's my sniper that kills everybody. It's awesome. That makes sense. Uh, I was really hoping that, uh, my ranger who was Japanese was going to end up being called samurai or something like that, but that wasn't the case, but it was still all right. Yeah. I had ACE and Valkyrie and junkyard were junkyard. Yeah. Junkyard was a grenadier in my uh, rage, a berserker suit from the berserker boss. That was pretty cool. My grenadier was mad dog. Yeah. Like Shirley mad dog McCabe or something like that. Yeah. yeah. She was, she was, she was pretty good. Well, we're talking about Gravely like, wounded now though. <laughs> They all are. Yes, they are. <laughs> this game has so many emergent stories that pop out of it. Joey, we both heavily favor games with a strong narrative. Did the story or any of the characters grab you? I mean, I came in not really expecting the story to go many places. Uh, like you said, the immersive storytelling of games like this are much more like what you're kind of here for. And it's just like, oh, yeah, this person got out of a tight spot again. That's pretty awesome. Um I, I st- or they didn't reload that save <laughs> or they didn't save scum. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I do like though that when, so when you're going like from like between different rooms of the base, after you do something in one area, um, usually like you get like parting words from the person that you were just in there. And Me it either. seems like there's a pretty good variety so it, it does a good job of not locking you into a screen to find out information about the um the head lab guy and the engineer and central but you get that as you're kind of moving around the ship doing some of these different things i thought that was interesting i kind of wish they would take the next step and start to do some of that granted you're not going to be able to have like unique voice lines for all of them but do that for some of your troops too like if you go to the armory and you leave it like have one of your like have your have Hawkeye say something or or have Mad Dog say something like I think that would be interesting another way to connect you to them so that it's that much harder when like you're going to lose them on a mission kind of thing like I think there's I think there's more that they could still do with that 
Um, but I, I mean, it was about what I expected coming into the game. Um, how it was set up, like the actual setup of the story and where like the world's at was surprising to me. I wasn't necessarily expecting it to basically be, I mean, it's the beginning of the game. It's not a spoiler, right? No, it's not a spoiler. Yeah. It's so, the, literally the opening cutscene. Yeah. So I was surprised that it was basically the governments of the world turned away from XCOM and signed an agreement basically with the aliens. And now they've like formed this, the advent basically, which is basically the aliens and humans working together, but it's really just the aliens have taken over the humans and are slowly making them into alien human goo people-ish weird things that have weird mouths when you're dissecting them on the table all the time. And I don't know. I think it was an interesting setup. I think that they have some legitimately interesting characters. I just don't think they did anything with it. And Granted, my beloved enemy unknown, the story wasn't massive, but it was interesting enough about an alien invasion and why they're here and what they're ultimately looking for. And the final mission really ties things together nicely. Like you find out why each one of the different types of units has been assimilated into this alien culture and like what their shortcomings were that led the aliens to the human race. In this game, it just there is nothing from that opening cutscene until like the final mission. There is a character in that opening cutscene, the speaker, who could have been really interesting. He's like the PR man for Advent, for the alien-human conglomeration. And uh, you don't see him again until the final mission when like he's just yelling at you to like stop shooting the aliens. It's like there were opportunities where he could have been a more interesting and fleshed-out character. And you could say that about like everybody. I thought the head scientist was interesting, but I expected a twist with them and nothing. There's just no twist in the story. Like, you're out to stop Advent? Guess what? If you win the game, you stopped Advent. Good job. And they kind of hint at a, a twist with, with like the scientists and stuff. Tygen, like the people yeah. will say, you know, uh, I'm not sure I trust Tygen. And I thought, okay, is somebody going to turn turn on, <laughs> yeah. on our base at some point? We no, they're just all racist. In there? Yeah, they just, they just are untrusting and it never goes anywhere beyond that. Or even the, the big reveal. This will be a spoiler alert, so turn down your iPhones, folks. But uh, the big reveal where, where you find out they're experimenting on humans, like... Yeah, no crap, like... <laughs> right, okay, you're, you're authoritarian, <laughs> really authoritarian alien overlords who have, like, stormtroopers in every city. <laughs> oh, they're really actually bad guys? <laughs> like, what? And then the characters are acting like, oh, this is awful. They're experimenting on humans. Oh, okay. <laughs> Of course. Uh, they have well, gene therapies spread across the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, people are just disappearing. They freaking had your main character, like the, the person that you play as, the silent protagonist, like in a tube with like a mind device jacked into <laughs> them to basically neck. give the aliens all of their like tactics, which they should have kept me plugged in because they would have failed because apparently I suck at this game. But <laughs> like the, the right. joke's on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just let's just leave Joey plugged in a yes, while longer. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, they also do something in the final mission, like the angelic uh, what's her name didn't appear until the final mission right and then like, all of a sudden like they're yelling at you too as combat's happening and like that final mission they go with a starcraft approach for storytelling in this game where like there's a character portrait up in the corner and they're kind of like yelling at you as stuff's happening like the story I didn't I didn't expect a lot from the story but it could have been it could have been better it could have been something it could have been anything 
Yeah, I was ignoring that character up in the corner of the screen, and that's when I would like <laughs> check Twitter or something. <laughs> it was just meaningless. You yeah. know? Like, it's like, I'm pretty sure this is the last mission of the game, and uh, you're not going to stop me, so okay. They're doing the old, you know, it's the bad guy saying, we offered humanity perfection in your species. And like, okay, this is the standard <laughs> generic alien spiel. Let's yeah. go kill him. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Hey, Pat, give me your sword so I can save the world. No. <laughs> Putting it all together, was this game a fulfilling package? Burns, is this going to be the first XCOM game that you beat? Nope. This and was a lot more interesting writing this question before I knew your full yeah. uh, experience with this game. <laughs> no, nope and nope, Tom. Uh, I, I, I really came into it excited to play this game and was looking forward to seeing, like, what... That could be because I do have generally favorable like feelings for the original Enemy Unknown. Uh, and maybe it's one of those things where this just wasn't the right time for me to play a game like this. Maybe it's because I've been playing like other tactical games recently and I just like those better. Or maybe it's because this game isn't that good. Yeah, I mean, it could be that too. It very well could be, could be that too. But it really got to the point, and we were talking a little bit about this earlier today, Pat. It, it got to the point where everything was always an interruption. Like the missions going on the missions was an interruption that would get in the way of me wanting to play the game that I wanted to play. I really wanted it to be just like franchise mode in Madden where I could just sim the missions. Cause that would be like, an interesting addition. Yeah. Let me do this other stuff. Like go through the game this way, sim the missions guys will come back dead. Okay. At least I didn't spend two hours for them to die. Alien invasion simulator. That could be a really interesting game. It could be. Um, so, but otherwise it just got to the point where I knew I was going to get erupted, interrupted at everything I was trying to do. And really like the noise and like the alerts coming up on the screen just turned into like an alarm clock to me. And it just like graded <laughs> on me eventually because it's just like, this game's never going to let me do what I want to do. And then when I try to do things and try to really think about it, it's going to stop me and just show me how flawed, I guess, all of my plans were. <laughs> and so, you know, maybe I could have gotten to that point where my guys were going to be invincible and I would have survived and, and saw the ending of the game. But I, once it got to the point where I was just frustrated playing it after 15, 20 hours of this game, it was time to just not play any more of it. And to be clear, you talk about your plans failing. You don't really get to plan for missions. Your no. dudes drop down. You might know the types of enemies and the number of enemies that are there, but like they're spaced out in pods. And like you yeah. really don't know what's coming. Patrick, we'll turn to you. This, I don't think this is hyperbole to say that XCOM is one of your favorite franchises, and you have a clear and marked love for sci-fi in general. Was this a fulfilling package for you? I thought it was. Uh... I don't want to steal Joey's takes, but it was fine. <laughs> I thought it was fine. It was. Uh, I feel like this is almost mirroring our alien isolation discussion, except I'm much less passionate about this. Well, <laughs> that's interesting that you bring that up, because in Alien Isolation, I encountered a game-breaking bug where I literally couldn't progress. I literally couldn't progress, and so my experience with that game forever ended with uh, like a midway point. In this game, in XCOM 2, I encountered a game-breaking bug about... I was really enjoying the early game, and like there was a tension. I was very close to losing the game. The aliens just about completed their big, bad project that I think is a game over a screen. And I managed to survive by the skin of my teeth, and then I encountered a game-breaking bug where enemies stopped attacking me. <laughs> Roughly two-thirds of the way they, through the game, enemies just stopped attacking me. They'd come running at me, and like... 
I'd be just lined up in Overwatch, and they'd come running directly at me, and I'd mow down a pod. Then I'd go up, set up Overwatch, another pod would come running directly at me. Sometimes there were too many for me to shoot all at once, and they'd just come run and, like, stand around the dude that's up, like, furthest. And so on my next activation, I'd move that dude out of the way, chuck a grenade to where they are all now conveniently clustered. (laughs) And that was my experience for the last third of the game. So, like, it was unbelievable. The final mission, I literally didn't get attacked. Like, I sent you guys a screenshot. <laughs> There's a mission summary after each mission, and one of the things that they track is the most under fire. And, like, I just sent you a picture. It's like, oh, yeah, look, most under fire. Nobody. Because <laughs> they literally stopped attacking me. That's and, like, insane. it got to the point I stopped using cover. Like, I would literally just run full steam for the objective. And it's like, oh, okay, uh, gatekeeper. I wonder if they attack. <laughs> Patrick, you had a funny text. You're like, oh, I just mind control this gatekeeper, and I did this, and it was awesome. I'm like, they have attacks? (laughs) (laughs) One of the nice things is uh, when you mind control a gatekeeper, and they're the most under fire on your entire team. It'll say, like, (laughs) (laughs) your mind controlled gatekeeper. That's funny. That is pretty funny. This game. Does he get a call sign if he gets enough kills? (laughs) (laughs) Comes back on the ship with you, levels up. (laughs) Hey, guys. (laughs) Want to ride my big floating ball? Final thoughts and takeaways. Patrick, you love XCOM, you love tactical action games. Your final thoughts and takeaways from XCOM 2. I'll just piggyback on what you two guys have said tom you just mentioned it briefly there there is a sweet spot that i was having a lot of fun where you're kind of hanging on by the skin of your teeth there's a tension to it yeah. like it's palpable it's like am i gonna have enough soldiers are my key soldiers gonna survive to like be able to bring this rookie up to the next level so that maybe they'll be self-sufficient in the future yeah every dollar counts you gotta really prioritize what you want to upgrade next yeah, one death is is really crucial in your planning, and you're just trying to hang on as you as you get your soldiers better and stuff like that. But then also what Joey talked about about it, you know, it's it starts to get too long and repetitive. I got to a point where I could I was ready for the end game, and it was still another dozen generic missions before I got there, and it's. I was trying to knock it out before we had this podcast, and everyone was just painful. It's like, oh, no, not another UFO landing somewhere. Can I just ignore it? (laughs) (laughs) I just want to beat the game. So if it could have been a little shorter, I don't know, or somehow stretched out that sweet spot where you're struggling to survive, I think I would have had a lot more fun. But I uh, I was ready to be done by the time I finished. Yeah, I mean, the first time I played the game, I actually enjoyed it a lot. And I was like, I'm really excited to see sort of like what develops more from that. But it just started tanking really fast. And it's like, I think it's like you said, Pat, it's like that fine line of just enough resistance to like add that tension and maybe Mm -hmm. make it seem like you're going to fail. But like when it legitimately gets to the point where it feels like the only thing I have to do to try to succeed is to just reset, get better RNG so I can move forward. Like that's when it gets, that's when it just got frustrating for me. And so, um, you know, I kind of alluded to it yesterday when we recorded game pass forever, but like, this is my second least favorite experience playing a game for these podcasts in the last year. And that's ever really. Yeah. The last, yeah. In the last year and sunset overdrive was the worst. Yeah. And, and, and maybe it's one of those things where that might flip flop too, because it like, seriously, it just, it just got to the point where it was frustrating and there's bugs. Like there are a lot of bugs. 
and and it seems like a lot of them tend to happen with saves coming. There was one time I reverted back to just like the start of the last of of that last round, um, and the train I was using for cover, the front half of it disappeared and was on fire. So it's like one of my guys that was hiding in there is on fire now when he wasn't at the start of that round last time. And so it's like, and I know it's like, oh, you're changing the time space continuum. This is what happens. But uh, Got to trim those deviants. Yeah. But no, so, and there, there's quite a few other just random weird things. Guys getting stuck. There was one robot that came out that like he took a step flew way up in the air was standing way in the air which means like i have no idea if he can see me or not he crits a guy and kills him it's just like elevated terrain man elevated terrain but it's like he was on air like it is like it is the first time i fought the robots i was like do they just do that these things are overpowered and it's like no he just like glitched out and was standing up there and just auto killed a dude and it's just like okay yeah I don't know if it was because I played on PC, but I didn't really encounter a lot of bugs when I played. The worst thing I saw was uh, scum saving or save, save scumming. scumming yeah. <laughs> save scumming. Uh, a couple of times, I swear bad guys were in a different spot, mm-hmm. but none of them were floating in midair. Yeah. Well, that wasn't even a save scum. That was just the first time I encountered that <laughs> robot. He's just going to be like, let me show you what I can do. <laughs> Superior programming. <laughs> Vision, eat your heart out. <laughs> uh, this was an ambitious game. It tried to do a lot more than its predecessor. Ultimately, and it's not close, but I preferred Enemy Unknown for its smaller scope and like just its polished gameplay. There were so many bugs, and like I'm trying to discount the game-breaking bug that had me just storm through the end of the game. <laughs> but oh, it was just a terrible experience. At least, at least for Axis, didn't tweet just delete your save progress. <laughs> And start over. Uh, before we move off of this game, I just wanted to get one more thing off my chest. Like in the first game, an enemy unknown. I know I shouldn't be making so many comparisons, but in the first game, there is a grand design for all the enemies that you fought. Like everything had its intended purpose for the alien overlords. In this game, they just start throwing random crap at you. It's like, oh, there's snake dudes. Are they gonna explain why there's snake dudes? Oh, there's a lot of genetic modification. So apparently, they needed some snakes in their army. Just drove me crazy like the gatekeepers were big bad enemies they're like uh i don't know krang floating around in a flying space ball like in mind control and do stuff but like there's no explanation for why they're there now it's just it's like they took away how they tried to ground it in some like possible reality and that just really bugged me and maybe it's because i thought the snake dudes were horribly annoying and the snake boss gave me fits for the first (laughs) 10 hours of this game i just i was really disappointed by the changes that they made with the enemy types well the snake dudes were the thin men were the thin men snake dudes no the thin men evolved into the nameless in the retaliation missions no because their explanation was i thought their explanation was that the thin men didn't need to try to fit in anymore and so then that's why they, they got rid of their outer skin that tried to make them look more human. And they're the, that's that snake race. Oh, well, that was how they explained no it. Thin men. Yeah. Sectoid's got a big upgrade in this game and then we're completely phased out. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. Missed opportunities. Yeah. Lots of missed opportunities. I thought we could close this segment by just giving some brief strategy game recommendations. I didn't actually think about this at all. So I'm going to say Final Fantasy Tactics. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even if you thought about it, would you have said anything different? 
Fire Emblem. I think Fire Emblem is oh, okay. really good and really polished, especially Three Houses on the Switch. That's a game that I've desperately wanted to make time for, and I wish that was the strategy game that I had just completed on Switch because, you know, that probably works. As opposed to it XCOM does. 2. It yeah. does. Yeah. Patrick. Uh, I'm old. This isn't anything new, but I love the uh, the Total War series. Just about every game in that, that, that franchise I've been a fan of. And there's there's no story whatsoever. Do you uh, tend to gravitate to games that were released before your girlfriend was born? <laughs> yeah. Right. I like young women and old games. <laughs> Wait. Is, is she older or younger than the Wii? What was the Wii's release date? She's older. <laughs> 2006-ish. Something like that, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a good burn, dude. That's a good burn. How do you like that, Patrick? Aren't you glad we're friends? <laughs> um, both great to play with. Have you played... <laughs> Have you uh, have you played Total War Warhammer at all? I have not. I own it, but I've never played it. I've played uh, again. See, I'm so old. I don't game a ton. I've yeah. played a lot of the Shoguns and like Medieval One and Two. Total War uh, Shogun was really good. Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, Rome. Um, Warhammer's good. Warhammer Total War Warhammer actually does have a story mode. Each okay. One of the, each one of the iterations of it has a story mode, which um, is interesting. They're, they're, each one at least. The first one and the third one, the the story modes are pretty different between the two, like how they operate. Um, but yeah, those are those are really good, like real time. Well, not even I wouldn't say they're real time strategy games. Those are like it's a little those above. are like army management games kind of thing. Yeah, like the o- like. Overland map is like turn turn based <laughs> turn based, <laughs> based strategy. Well, now turn dick over here. <laughs> He could be the lead voice actor. You got to copyright that before this podcast is released. Based strategy. We're gonna get shirts made for the Patreon party. That's gonna be your special giveaway this year. <sighs> strategy games are fun. Yeah. Does Heroes of Might and Magic count as a strategy game? Never played it. I don't know. I'd, I'd say yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Heroes of Might and Magic Three was a fantastic game. I enjoy that one. Um, that I mean, the, and all those games are classics, but three is the best. Um, a Fire Emblem, like you said, and Final Fantasy Tactics are really good. Would you count Gloomhaven as a strategy game? It's like different, but I mean, it's in that vein. I don't know, like because it's it's turn based. You have your abilities that you're learning to do. Like strategy is a weird duck. Like yeah, Civilization games are phenomenal. Um, um, St- Stellaris, you wrote down actually, but Stellaris is. Oh yeah, is I, great, I did play through Stellaris. That one was a lot of fun. A great game, and that's like a whole nother like four X strategy yeah. games. Like is a whole nother ball of wax that you could delve into. There's lots of there's lots of really great strategy games out there. I think Stellaris is on Xbox Game Pass. Ooh, playing that on a controller. That'd be rough. Ooh. Yeah, I've tried it. I have the PS <laughs> version of that. What are your favorite tactical turn based games? Tweet your thoughts at Thompson Logic O I O. What are your favorite tactical turd-based games, too? <laughs> hey, Tom, I was on stage at the comedy show the other night, and I was insulting this man's wife. <laughs> and he rushed the stage, so I had to grab the microphone stand and take a swing at him. But I really kind of jarred my shoulder. Do you have anybody I could go see about that? Why wouldn't you just let him slap you, Patrick? Like, isn't the comedy patron always right? Isn't that, like, the motto of the comedy world? <laughs> We've learned from uh, the Will Smith. and yeah. uh, It's the dangers of the two-drink minimum, though, isn't it? 
Yeah, people always want to, they think they're part of the show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, you can check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident, comedy-related injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. Now we're going to welcome in friend of the show, Dr. Kelsey Camille, to talk about ergonomics. And now we're going to welcome back friend of the show, Dr. Camille from Premier Health in Coon Rapids, Minnesota. Welcome back, Dr. Camille. Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here. You are here today to help computer gamers with a chronic condition, something that affects everyone who just sits at a computer and writes all day or uh, plays endless hours of The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt on their PC. Carpal tunnel syndrome, what can we do to protect our hands and wrists? So when it comes to carpal tunnel syndrome, one of the things that's often not quite understood are that there's actually multiple causes that can be triggering this type of pain or or symptom. Um, when it comes to the carpal tunnel, there's actually a lot of nerves and, and tendons that are running through this area. And so it's not always the tunnel of the wrist that's the problem. So working on keeping um, the muscles in your forearms stretched out, keeping them loose is actually one of the best things that you can do. Um, we've actually been seeing a lot of people who, you know, are spending a, a lot of time on their uh, like PS4s, their uh, console games, having a lot of, t of carpal tunnel-like symptoms too. I, you know, I've even noticed this myself when I'm, you know, playing Mario Kart against my husband, and obviously I'm beating him, so I've got to be intense with it. And I've noticed my thumbs hurting, which can lead into my wrists hurting, and it all comes back to the muscles in my forearms because those are what are controlling all of the motion in my hands. So one of my favorite things to do to keep these muscles nice and loose is actually take ice cubes um, directly onto those muscles because you can, one, use the ice to actually get the inflammation down, but two, you can use the ice to apply a little bit of pressure and get some of that tissue or those muscles a little bit looser in a slightly less painful way than an actual deep tissue massage. And when you use ice on the skin, um, which is a moist cold versus an ice pack, which is a dry cold, it actually gets a lot deeper into the tissue. Um, and you only don't have to use it for like, you know, two, three, four minutes for the tissue to go numb versus an ice pack that takes 15 to 20 minutes for the area to go numb. So it's a very effective way to do it. And a quick clarification, that's ice directly on the skin. You don't want anything in between it. You don't want any barrier between the ice. Absolutely not. Ice directly on the skin. It's the melting of that ice onto the skin um, that does that great job. Just like athletes use ice baths, you can even do the same thing with that too. Um, if you use your like a, a bucket with water and ice in it, you can make your own little ice bath and submerge the arm into the, or submerge your wrist into um, your ice bath for two, three, four minutes and create a very similar effect. Um, if you don't want to use um, an actual ice cube to be digging into the muscle, but it does a wonderful job to get that inflammation down and really alleviate a lot of those symptoms. Well, that's awesome advice. Thank you so much for stopping by today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Make sure you book your appointment with Dr. Camille at Premier Health in Coon Rapids. Visit their website at PremierHealthMN.com. That is PremierHealthMN.com. For our final segment today, we are going to break down XCOM, the board game. Burns, I hope this was a better experience for you. It's it's crazy. Coming in, I really felt it was going to be the opposite way. Like, honestly, um, it, it's surprising to me uh, how, how everything turned out with this. XCOM, the board game, was designed by Eric M. Lang and published by Fantasy Flight in 2015. Eric Lang has 
design games including Star Wars, the card game, Bloodborne, Song of Ice and Fire, Stark versus Lannister set. Plus the Godfather board game, Rising Sun, Feast for Odin, and your favorite Quarriers, Quarriers. Tom. Yeah, we talked about that on the Bloodborne yeah, show. Yeah, but like, so Eric Lane is like the Shigeru Miyamoto of board game design. That is high praise. It is, though. He is like, if anybody says who is the top board game designer, they would say it's Eric Lane. Um, the only difference is he's much more political on Twitter. But other than that, he's uh, he is probably the most famous board game designer that's probably why I didn't respond when I asked him for an interview for the Bloodborne. Show. It could be. He's he's pretty yeah. big, and he's been in between. Like he was like the lead like director at Simon um, for quite some time, and just like left to go freelance uh, a couple years ago. XCOM. XCOM. The board game has a board game geek rating of seven point In XCOM, the board game, you and up to three friends assume the roles of leaders of the elite international organization known as XCOM. It is your job to defend humanity, quell the rising panic, and turn back the alien invasion. Where the world's militaries have failed to stand against the alien invaders, you must succeed. To do so, you must make strategic use of the resources available to you. Where the world's militaries have failed to stand against the alien invaders, you must succeed. To do so, you must make strategic use of the resources available to you. You must launch interceptors to shoot down alien UFOs, assign soldiers to key missions, research alien technology, and use that technology to defend your base. All while trying to keep the world from collapsing just long enough so that you can coordinate one final mission to repel the alien invaders for good. Basically, there are four roles. Science guy, money guy, fighter guy, and app guy. <laughs> yes. We played this game a total of four times. We each played two different roles. We played once with four players, once with three. I thought we'd start by talking about which roles we played and how that entire experience was. Patrick, I want to start with you. You were our fighter dude in the first two times we played. The squad, squad leader. leader, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give people an idea of the mechanics. You uh, you get <clears throat> either aliens invading your base or a mission, and you just uh, assign troops to them. And the way you win is uh, you have to match symbols on your troops to so, symbols on the alien or the mission. You have four different types of troops. Each troop card will have two different symbols on it, and each alien could have up to three different symbols on it, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and each mission <clears throat> is the same type of thing. It's basically like... To represent, these are the skills your guys have, and then that's like what targets the weak point of the aliens, or is what's useful for a given mission, right? Yeah, I think that's the theme they're going for. Um, a good theme in practicality. How did that uh, work out? You were the one who got to chuck the dice to fight the aliens. Was that fun and rewarding, or was it a tedious task matching up symbols? It was. Be honest here, Patrick. Don't just be nice because this is a public forum. It was fine. <laughs> it was okay. fine. Yeah, yeah. It was it was okay. It wasn't I wouldn't say exciting at all. Oh, we should add they do time you in this. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing about this game is that you play it with a companion app and that app is everything's marking down for one whole phase where you're making all of your decisions is in real time. So you'll have 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds to do a given action. So and then once you're done, then it goes to the next person and they have to do that. And it keeps bouncing back and forth between the players to do these different actions. You have a pause. And then if you play on anything higher than easy, you have only so much pause time that you can do before it just jumps to the next person. 
And each player has their own specific thing that they're focused on. The squad leader is focused on fighting off the aliens. The commander who Joey played in the first mission was managing the money because everything you do costs money. I played as the chief science officer, so I was just researching technology to try to make our troops and our organization more efficient and casey just got stuck being the app guy yeah i think what is it the communications i think it's central officer central officer yeah. yes so he's central he's 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 gonna be he's gonna be in 20 years he's gonna awesomer. be buff as hell yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but uh yeah and you're the one that that's the person that's in charge of the app and they're also in charge of like the satellites which the satellites you can put into orbit to shoot down ufos but then also you can use the satellites to basically give benefits to other things based upon the tech that was researched. So app guy and helper guy. <laughs> yeah, Total yeah. support role. Yeah. Yeah. Very strong uh, match for Casey's skill set and preferences. <laughs> but coming back to the <laughs> coming back to the combat, Patrick, you're a guy who loves chucking dice and like killing enemies in games. And matching symbols, maybe not so fun, but at least was the rolling fun and rewarding. I may be biased because I rolled like <laughs> like turds the first game. Yeah, fair. Yeah, that's a fair so assessment. That's that's really the entire role as the squad leader is you have to kind of quickly match symbols, assign troops to those without assigning too many because you have to end up paying for everyone you assign. So you have 10, 15 seconds to do that. And then at the end of the phase, you resolve that by rolling dice and... Uh, it all comes down to the dice rolls, mm -hmm. and I just I failed epically the first couple of times we played, and probably the one of the main reasons we lost. Yeah, objectively speaking, yes. I would well, I would have three troopers killed every combat. The main reason we lost, like very specifically, <laughs> was because in the second game was because you chose not to defend the base. When there was, I think, two aliens there, and we could not take any more damage to the base. Um, that was that, a bold strategy, in my opinion. It was a bold strategy. It did not play out. To us. be fair, we were inexperienced with the game. We didn't yeah. fully know the turn order. And so Patrick was going for a very thematic victory, and he committed all of his available troops to trying to take down the final mission. Unfortunately, one of the loss conditions is if your base gets destroyed, and that happens before you check the final <laughs> yeah, mission. Right. And I, I can't throw any shade at you because you were rolling the way that the RNG worked for me in my <laughs> playthrough true. of XCOM 2, so I cannot throw any shade at you for how things went. I envision that strategy like uh, the Lannisters abandoning Casterly Rock. <laughs> Would never happen. <laughs> We'd live, oh yeah, give up Casterly Rock so we can share Westeros. <laughs> never gonna happen. Not in a hundred million billion years, Patrick. It happened in the movie. They gave up Casterly Rock. Or in the, the books. They did not give no, up the rock. No. no. They did? No, they didn't. Which one did they give up? Yeah, they did. The Lannisters didn't give up anything. They still have King's... In the books, they still have King's Landing and Casterly Rock. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. You you learn at some point that Castle Rock is out of money, so that a lot of what they're doing is smoke and mirrors, but no, they yeah. never give up the rock. Yeah. And so and we're referencing one game of the uh, Game of Thrones board game that we played where Patrick <laughs> expected me as the Lannisters to just move out of Castle Rock so that we could have a shared victory where Patrick did everything to win. Yeah, the Tyrells, you know, just taking over Castle Rock to win it for them and the Lannisters. It's yeah. very thematic. Hey, Tom, give me a rock so I can save the world. No! no. <laughs> 
Bernsey, in our first playthrough, you were the money guy as the yes. uh, commander. Yes. Was was it a fun experience keeping track of what everyone was spending and trying to make sure that our budget was balanced? Uh, it. I mean, it it was it was as difficult as you probably think it is because you. I mean, fittingly, if you're the commander, you have to keep track of what everybody's spending. And, you know, of course, everybody wants as much as they can get for what they have to do. I was playing as the chief science officer in the first game, so I was trying to research our tech. I'm like, you got to give me more money. Yeah. Like, I got to get this stuff to our squad leader yep. so he can match more symbols. And so, uh, and how it works when you, like, do your resolution phase is you figure out then all of the money that you put towards... The because everything that goes on the board, basically every miniature that's on the board, whether it's a soldier, sh a, or ship a ship, or a soldier, or a satellite, everything that's on the board costs like one supply. And so once you spend all of that, whatever you have left over, that's what you can do to buy more recruits. The problem we definitely had in that game is because we were losing so many troops, we needed <laughs> to keep like having some, and then it would get to the point where well. We could put we could put two more into research, but then we're only going to get one soldier back, and Pat has three, um, you know. <laughs> and so that it, it it becomes a really it becomes really difficult to try to balance all those things. And plus, then as the commander, you're also in charge of the Sky Rangers that have to are the interceptors. Sorry, the interceptors that have to go out and fight all of the UFOs in the different continents. I played as the commander in our second set of games, games three and four. You also have to manage different crises, like you're drawing yes. cards from a oh, deck yes. and choosing which bad thing's going to happen. I thought that being the commander did take a lot of brain power. Like, mm -hmm. it took a lot of focus. You had to be on top of everything. But it wasn't a particularly rewarding experience for me. It's like, all right, we didn't go over budget. Nothing bad happens. Like, the, the best outcome was nothing additional bad happens. The, the rewarding or, like, the adrenaline rush comes from when you do really well rolling as the interceptors and, like, fend off the UFOs. Um, or the opposite where, yeah, you have three interceptors against two UFOs and then you lose it in the first, in the, in the first battle. It can be so frustrating. One strategy I used in the last game, sorry, Patrick, I'll let you speak in a minute, but one strategy I used as commander in the last game, sometimes UFOs will come to orbit and they don't really do anything up there. You yeah. can spend money to put satellites up there to blast them. But, uh, what I wound up doing was just letting them accumulate there. Like some would filter down to the, uh, planets, but I was trying desperately to keep a second continent from falling into panic, which would make us lose the game. And so I just let them pile up out in orbit. It eventually, if we would have went one more round, it probably would have sunk us, but, um, but didn't, it was won, the right you? strategy. And we should reference the alien die, which is yes. uh, pretty brutal. It's, it's a D8, and you have to roll it every time, essentially, you do any action, whether it's fighting uh, aliens or UFOs or so trying say, to research stuff. Say Pat's defending the base, and there are th three aliens in the base. There's three aliens in the base. Pat has a squad of soldiers. Like, he rolls the to fight the first one once, and the threat tracker is at a one. So you roll your alien die of D8. If it's higher than a one... Nothing bad happens. You get your successes and you can roll again. But now the threat tracker moves up to two. So if you roll a two, a one or a two on that alien die, everything that you committed to that attack is dead. You might take some of the aliens with you, but like you could lose your entire squad just on one bad roll of that alien die. Yeah, it's, it's so it's it's essentially a push your luck game where yeah. where immediately when you attempt anything, you have a one and eight chance of epic failure. Yeah. And then two and, and eight. it only and gets three worse. And eight. Yep. <laughs> and you do get abilities like that's why tech kind of becomes so important is that you get abilities that allow you to either re-roll that die or, or rescue your soldiers or, or rescue people from it. Or like I know there was there's one of the uh, upgrades you get as a squad leader that allows you to s set the difficulty one down 
at one point throughout it. So it basically allows you to manipulate that a little bit, um, which does help. It does help with some of those roles that are just like real bad luck. <laughs> and in that, I think it does do a good job of kind of mirroring the the video game experience. Mm-hmm. Is where you you there's that again fine line where yeah. you're you're holding off death or failure, and you have to keep researching to give everybody else the tools you need to stay alive and and eventually win. Hopefully. I'll dive more into Chief Scientist in a minute, but Burns, you also played as a squad leader today in our last yeah. two games. How was that experience for you? Uh, it was it was pretty fun. You it, rolled better than Patrick. I did. I did. Sure. We all rolled better today, <laughs> I think, than we did last time, which, which I mean, it definitely helps a lot. Uh, I think it's interesting. It's so, you know, you're saying, oh, you're just matching up symbols and and, and, and like, how hard is that? But <laughs> in, in like the 15 second blip that you have and you don't always know when you're sometimes you will have to put people into the uh, base or you have to put people into the base and you don't know, like there will be another monster added and I don't have the right symbols mm-hmm. to really attack them very effectively or they might have a special ability that kind of borks our chance to to really be able to finish them off. Um, I think there's, there's definitely strategy there with it. I mean, it's, it's obviously, there's no way it was going to be as in depth as like the strategy of like the missions that you're going on in the actual game. But, uh, I I think it does a pretty good job of making you like make like educated choices as to, okay, do I commit two of my three troops that I have on this mission to the first objective Knowing that I'll accomplish it probably, but if I roll poorly on the enemy on the uh, on the alien die, I'm gonna lose those guys, and I only have mm-hmm. I only have the one dude left to try to finish the other two legs of the mission. Because if you don't finish a mission on a turn, you can carry over and try to finish it the next turn. But more negative stuff t- tends to happen in the game if you don't clean that up um, sooner rather than later. It definitely does. Um, I enjoyed it though. I thought it was fun. Um, I actually, I'm, I've enjoyed a lot of the roles that I played. Um, I definitely, my brain was like worked after I finished being the commander. <laughs> like after we played that normal game, and because seriously, that game we got like crisis after crisis after crisis, and it's just like my brain was shot. Like when I left here that night, it was was like, oh my God. It takes a lot of processing power. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting to see how Casey and his big brain handled the commander role. I don't know. Like, and this is no slight to Casey. Like, I don't know if he, I don't, like, I think he would want to get too drawn into really trying to analyze the positives and negatives of those crisis cards where it's like, really, you just got to say, okay, this one's worse than the other one. I got to do this. one. <laughs> it fit into my grip it and rip it mentality. Yeah. Perfectly. It's like, uh, can't possibly afford one more panic in North America. Boom. Yeah, no, so, exactly. We're going to lose half of our emergency funding. All right, I'll just pull it all out. Well, <laughs> and, and, and like I could see with the missions too, like when you, cause when, when you have to choose a mission, you get two missions and you have to choose one. I basically kind of use that same mentality. Cause I could have like gotten, into the deep think to look at all the symbols and how many, is it going to be two monsters or one mon- or enemy in this one? Um, but I basically just looked at, all right, what is the bonuses that we're going to get after beating this? It's okay. Australia is really bad right now on the panic track. We need two off of Australia. I'm going to pick that mission and just make it work after that. You mentioned the deep thinkers. If you're, if you're interested in playing XCOM, the board game and you're like core group of friends is a bunch of deep thinkers pass yeah either play on easy or don't play it at all because like you're gonna need that unlimited pause time because what's going to happen like what's really going to end up happening then is 
it's going to end up screwing the people that go later on in the turn. Mm. Um, because basically you have, if you're playing on normal or above, you have, I think it's like 30 seconds of pause time and it might go down the higher difficulty you play on. If you finish steps in the process earlier, time gets added to the pause time. So you get more pause time if you really need to think about something later on. Um, but if you if you pause, you're eating up that time. Once you have no pause time, it just skips to the next step and skips to the next step. And so you either can't place things down or if you're still like spending time doing things, you're screwing people down the line that aren't going to have time to think about things when it comes to them. And as opposed to many of the games that I am very fond of, there is no benefit to screwing your friends in this game. Like there is no, no benefit to slowing down. Like you need everyone firing as efficiently as possible. I want to talk a little bit more about the chief science officer. That's what I played in the first two games that we played, and then Pat played it today. Basically, you usually the rounds start with you drawing a handful of cards, and then as the other players are taking actions, interspersed through, you choose three things that you research, and then you get to roll dice to try to research those in the next phase of the game, and then you can get tech for your squad leader to use to make his fighters more efficient, or things to help the commander or central office manipulate situations more in the play, player's favor. Mm -hmm. I love that role. Like, it feels disconnected from everything else that's happening. Kind of all the roles feel yep. siloed, actually. But I really enjoyed that aspect. Like, I could see how my efforts were helping Pat fight more monsters or do more damage or seal more, like, uh, wipe out these enemies, which would get me more salvage to do more research. I just, I loved that role. And so far, that was the highlight of the game for me. I liked it as well. I would agree. It's, it's kind of disconnected, uh, less chaotic. But yeah, you could you could get your hand of possible upgrades and kind of see what would benefit you pretty pretty immediately and who needed it and where. <clears throat> and I thought it was crucial. Yeah. With our second playthrough, when Pat was playing as the uh, chief science officer and I was money guy, I made a real focused effort early on to try to get Pat more money to do research because I knew that later on we'd be killing aliens and he'd be able to use that to spend to do more of the research and we could spend less of our supplies on that and focus more supplies on more tactical units. Um, and I think that was a great strategy and we won. We we crushed it, not just won. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we... Well, it's interesting. The very first game, uh, despite my protest, we played the very first game, the four of us, um, on easy. Yeah. And I'm like, ugh, let's just play it on normal and see what the experience is like. And we won that game on easy. Then the four of us played immediately again on normal, and we got just our butts Pummeled. kicked. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was rough. So today we played as new roles. So we played the first game on easy with that unlimited pause time, which was absolutely crucial. Though I don't, we didn't really use a lot of pause time. We did very early on to look up like rules because the first time we played, we we watched videos about it and really had a good idea of what <laughs> roles we were playing at that point, what we needed to do. Didn't really do that leading into well, this. We one. just so assumed. I, like, I assumed I'd remember. It's <laughs> <And so, laughs> like I don't know how any of this stuff I'm works sitting anymore. Here looking at these symbols <laughs> and looking at the monsters, and it's like, okay, how does this work? Again? Yeah. <laughs> right didn't seem like much of a detractor because we did steamroll to victory like we yeah. crushed easy on our first one today then we played a game on normal and we won by the skin of our teeth yeah. we had one nation in panic and another like one step away from panic which would have been game over our base had one more damage before it was destroyed that's game over mm -hmm. i think did we have one more criteria where we were about to lose and we pulled it out on the last possible turn so the, yeah the base was one away um we had north america gone um i, I can't think if i can't remember if there i don't think there was another one <sighs> Well, I know that in my global defense, when I was shooting down the UFOs, I needed some tech that Pat had just researched 
earlier in that turn to yep. reset one of my abilities, which allowed me to wipe off one dude, which kept us from being game over. If not for that research from our chief science officer, we would have lost before we had a chance to seal the <laughs> yeah, victory. Because Europe would have went panicked out. Yep. And you can only have one continent panic out. I wanted to talk about how much our roles contributed to the success or failure of the game, but I think each role is critical. Like yeah. some, I think, I think chief scientist is the most fun out of what I played, but I think each role is equally important <laughs> in turning it out. And if your dice are cold, well, guess what? You're going to lose. Yeah. I mean, I think. Yeah. Your roles are critical in more of the way than one. <laughs> well, right. It depends on, it depends on who you are. Like there's, if, if you fail at one role as like the, the chief science officer, like you're not going to get that tech right away. It's a bummer, but it's not as clutch as if you have three enemies in the base and you flub on an all out attack on the first guy. And then you take three damage to the base, which means you took enough damage to get the negative impact of the, of the <laughs> scenario. Um, and then you're that much closer to just game over. Uh, so I think there's a little bit more weight on some of the other roles. Uh, I believe I can't remember what happens, but there's, there's like a very distinct negative for every, I think it's like every supply that you overspend on, something bad happens. I can't remember how it works. We've never had to figure out what it does, but I remember Two it's like a very bad money negative. Guys. Yeah. I, I know it's a very distinct negative if you screw that aspect up. And so, um, but like in a Sky Ranger, like we had that one where you had a fight against, I think it was three or four dudes. And like you said, you had a bad roll, but you were luckily able to mitigate it just enough so that Europe didn't panic out. And we didn't lose the game there. So there, there's, there's, especially near the end of the game, it gets really critical with certain things. And, and even the researcher where it doesn't seem like, cause you had kind of said at some point, well, some of these aren't going to really matter, but some were extremely clutched mm -hmm. down, down the, down the, down the line, you know, and, and making the right decisions, even as a central officer as to whether you def devote satellites to things, or I know in like the, I can't remember if it was the first or the second game when Casey was a central officer, he had a lot of uh, tech abilities and, if he devoted satellites to the right abilities, like it was going to definitely or had enough on hand to help finagle things different ways. Um, like it definitely could make the difference as to like how we could do the things when we were attacking. So if I can summarize that thought, Casey was the reason that we lost that second game. The only game that we lost of XCOM came down to Casey's mismanagement of satellites with the sweet tech that I researched for him. No, no, so no, I no, gave no. him all the tools to succeed, and he just completely flubbed. No, no, no. That's actually not what I was saying at all. I thought... That's that, what I heard. I thought he had lots of meaningful decisions in that game. Because otherwise, the central officer, if you look at it just as they run the app and tell people what to do and put out satellites for orbital defense... There's not like not a lot to that role, but if they get more from the research, they have more flexibility. Same with squad leader. You have a lot more flexibility the more research you have. So everything kind of like folds into each other. And if if the commander does a good job of telling people like how much money they're going to have to spend this time or what the priorities are this round. Um, it, 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 everybody else knows like what to expect and what they can do. And the squad leader, if the squad leader has more successes and gets more bodies, that means then the researcher has a better and easier job of researching different things. So everything feeds into 
everything feeds into one another. And if it goes really well, things go really well. If it goes pretty badly at one step, it starts to break down at every other step. To put more words into your mouth. So you're saying the real reason that we lost that second game was because Pat was rolling like crap, couldn't kill any aliens, and I couldn't get any salvage to add extra dice to my research. Is that the proper summation? Yes, so, and and I had a I had a headache at the end. Yeah, Pat and Casey were both equally culpable. Got it. Yeah, I won't even disagree with that assessment. <laughs> well, and Pat, I think there was one time where a mission was up for like three rounds or something like that, and yeah. it just felt like I was getting like half the crisis tech at a time to go through and determine how bad like things are. <laughs> well, what were the highlights of this game, Patrick? You loved the XCOM franchise. Was this a strong personification of the XCOM license in a board game format? Uh, like I said, it's it's interesting. They do they did manage to capture that uh, you know flying by the seat of your pants for a while, well, struggling to stay alive. Let me rephrase this question or ask a completely different question. Go in a completely <laughs> different direction. Wait, do you like that they focused on the alien invasion and like stopping the aliens from descending down on Earth, or would you have preferred a more hero clicks experience where you have? Clickable minis on the board, and it's more of the tactical action from. I certainly would have preferred that, but that's just that's just my style of gaming. I would have liked uh, alien minis, uh, you know, on a city map, blowing each other away. That would have been pretty cool. Missile launchers. I see. There's already so many other games like that. Sure. That's the only thing I would say about that. And And then the other, like the other thing that you have with that is you have all of these enemies that you have to be having like that AI coming back at you. And you could try to have an app run things in that way, but it just, it, it becomes much more cumbersome. I don't think we finish a game in an hour. If the game's like that, like no, or an hour and a half. Right. And so, and granted part of the reason why we finished this game in that time is because we're timed and it's forcing us to, but and we didn't have Casey, (laughs) but I don't know. I, I'm actually a fan of the direction they went with it. It actually it does fit the first game a lot. It's not a good analog for the second game. I'd be curious what a board game version of XCOM two would need to be, because it would be it would need to be different how that works or what that would even entail, I don't know. Um Turd-based strategy. Turd-based strategy. <laughs> yes, perfect. Well, Bernsey, what was the highlight of this experience for you? And Patrick, you can also see your highlight. I completely derailed you. <laughs> for me, I like that there's nothing else like this game. With the mm-hmm. timed aspect, overall, I'm not crazy about the timed aspect because there's so much pressure and it's not necessarily a fun experience. It's more like, <laughs> it's really stressful. It's a really uh-huh. it's the most like stressful not board game that I play. Not necessarily fun. Uh, <laughs> but I like that everything works in together in that even though you're all in your silos everyone plays such an important role in the success of the mission and i like how each role counts this game is more stressful than battlestar galactica battlestar galactica is annoying not stressful like it's just frustrating that everyone automatically thinks i'm the cylon it is statistically <laughs> unlikely that i would be a cylon literally every single time that we played <laughs> But, you know, every time we play, every single time we play, I get locked in the brig, human or not. And if yeah. I'm a human, well, guess what? I'm a Cylon sympathizer at that point, and I'm going to do everything I can to kill the rest of the humans, because you're all buttholes. At some point, Tom, you just need to look inward at your toaster self and just realize what that says <laughs> about you, that you everybody are, thinks you're a Cylon. Um, no, like, 
I mean, it, it is stressful. Like, I, I, don't get me wrong. Like, it, it is a stressful game to play. I still thought it, I still thought it was fun and I interesting, mean, and it is unique. Like, I think that's one of the the benefits of this. And I know one of the other questions that you added into here was like, how does using the app work with this? And I've played some of the other Fantasy Flight app based games, and I prefer this version of this as opposed to you play like the Lord of the Rings Journeys Through Middle Earth. And it's basically like you're playing a computer game with a like board element. And that just tilts it a little bit too far like in that other direction of why don't I just play this as a computer game then? Um, the uh, uh, what's the Mansions of Madness is the, is the other game that's like heavily app based. Um, that one's a little bit better than like Journeys through for Middle or through Middle Earth or whatever it's called. Um, it's a little bit better in that way, but it's still like you're you're always looking at the app to show like where are these things at, where are these enemies at. Whereas this one, it's like it's always there as a timer and it's telling you what to do, but like your attention, other than the person that's like manning the app, your attention is still on the board and with the other players and and what you're doing and how you're operating with that. So I think. It like it works as a good symbiotic relationship as opposed to dominating the play experience, which a lot of other app based games tend to do, in my opinion. No, I'm totally with you. And I guess I misspoke a little bit before. I did enjoy this game. Like I had yeah, fun yeah. with it, but it was like the most it's, stressful moment to moment game when that timer is running. Like I can't think of anything else that has that same level of tension. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my most tense gaming moment was still the game of Battlestar Galactica, where I was salt high. I had like a massive sinus infection. Um, I traveled <laughs> up here from Dallas. It's like two a.m. and like just I the I I only know that I'm the only one not a Cylon. I have no idea who else is. Everybody else has been sending mixed signals the entire time. <laughs> And we finally figure it out and survive. And I like screamed. Yeah, at the you end of had that game. a bestial guttural roar of <laughs> exclamation. Yeah, if you made a successful roll and like fist bumped and yelled at two a.m. Yeah. and we're like in oh, the apartment like, yeah. and like woke up like Phoenix and everybody else in your apartment complex probably at <laughs> yeah, that time. I felt a time. little bad afterwards, but I was like, "You're in the moment, man." That in the moment and that like stressed and like, <laughs> how are we gonna get out of this? So, um, so yeah, I think that was the night I went to the hospital, wasn't it? Oh, that might have been. Yeah, yeah, I went to the hospital before you guys woke up in the morning. Yeah, good times. Yeah. Battlestar. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> It'll rip you up. Patrick, did you like the app integration in this game? Did you think it was... I, I mean, it was, it's crucial to the experience. You literally couldn't play without it. I honestly didn't look at it once. So it, <laughs> it wasn't needed from my perspective. <laughs> I, it seems to only uh, like randomize the order the elements happen in, do the timer... And I would expect there's a little bit of a, uh, what do you call it, ketchup mechanic or uh, <laughs> well, so it, kid it, gloves that can it, apply? I think the, the big things that it seems like it's doing is whether you're succeeding or failing at things, it's like giving you those consequences. And then depending upon what one of the five um, missions, the final missions or scenarios you're playing, that's like, I, I believe that's what determines how the UFOs come out and where they show up. And so, like, the first one we played today, was it Domination? I can't remember. I can't remember what it was called, but the first one we played today, the app, based on that mission, it seemed like it was just pummeling as many UFOs as it could on one continent at a time. And it was, like, sending them all through there. 
um, Misdirection, which was the second one we played, it was like it would start peppering them out in different places and make you think that it's going in one place and then it would throw them all in other spots. Yeah, it was a really okay. interesting mechanic because like they'd send out some UFOs, then I'd have my opportunity to send our uh, Sky Rangers interceptors, interceptors, send our interceptors out to different areas of the world and then they'd get another activation and they'd send more UFOs out. It's like if yeah. I didn't spread out the coverage, we, we were bone like there was one turn, South America was close to going into panic which would have been game over for us so i put three interceptors there and basically said rest of the world be <laughs> and no other ufos yeah, came to you so one there yeah. yeah they but we protected south america we did That's and where we our base was pulled out the victory mm-hmm. um, and i think some of the other things then like yeah how many crisis cards it makes you draw per per okay. round um, gets affected by that too. And I think that's based off of like how well you did on the missions, if the mission succeeded or failed. Um, and then, yeah, it's just basically whether you failed or didn't fail. Where did this game struggle? We played four games. We won three of them. The one game that we lost was because Patrick was a Cylon and just left our base <laughs> undefended as the alien stormed through. <laughs> so that was my uh, big struggle of the game is friends. <laughs> <laughs> having to play with me is where this game struggled thanks for driving down from Duluth just to make this yeah. experience worse for me twice twice <laughs> um I there aren't a lot of weaknesses in this game are there I mean it's a pretty polished experience it's very unique and you're all doing your own thing but as we talked about before like it all funnels into the same direction the RNG again I would say yeah, when, <laughs> it was just down to the die, right? Yeah, when your whole, especially early on, which I guess kind of matches the video game, yep. you can, you, your whole squad can get wiped out based on a D8 roll, and you've got nothing to mitigate it at that point. Right. And it's, Man, that was shouldn't have rolled a one your first roll. Now you're, <laughs> you're probably going to lose this round. Good strategy, Pat. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 I mean, that because that, that kind of strong arms the experience, right? Um, but, I mean, there has to be some potential consequence right. for your well, actions. Well, sure, yeah. Maybe a D8 isn't the answer, but I get how they're trying to keep it a limited scope. As the threat goes up, the highest it'll go is a five. So six, seven, eight, you will always, always succeed. succeed. Yeah. Or, you know, not your squad. Live to yeah. fight another day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I think, I, I, th- I mean, that's difficult. But like you said, as you go on, you, you, you can get the different pieces um, that help to mitigate that. Um, I think, I think... At smaller player counts, it becomes more unwieldy. We did manage to get by. It's designed for four players, and each player takes one of the unique roles. For our three-player playthrough today, Burns and I kind of split up the central role. You handled the app. I handled mm-hmm. all of like the tactical stuff, and that worked well for our group. Yeah. But I guess with like imagining going down to two people, like yeah. adding on the tech deck onto one of the others... That'd be crappy. Yeah, so like we played uh, my roommate Lance's game, and uh, he's only played it once, and he played it um, with uh, Chewy, um, just those two, um, and they were not super positive uh, afterwards with the experience because um, it was just too much to try to keep track of, like each of them having two jobs, mm-hmm. and then yeah, th- that was like where their complaint came from, like, well, if, if you take too long early on, you're screwed later on because you just can't. You don't have enough time to make the decisions when you need to make them. Um, and so I think that I think that can be a limiting factor. I did play this game once before solo um, over Christmas one year. And uh, that, sounds awful. It wasn't that bad because I played it on easy and like paused a lot because it's like in order to 
not like <laughs> have my brain short out. <laughs> I, I would need to do it that way. And it was, it was fun because I got to experience all the different aspects of the game, but that was like years ago. So it's not like I really remember, remember exactly how it went, but I remember enjoying it at least. Um, but I think there at certain play play levels, it's not going to work very well. Certain types of people just aren't going to jive with real time games. Like the deep thinkers. Like yeah. this would be a horrible experience for a deep thinker. You need to be able to grip it and rip it. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to play imperfectly, and you got to be fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> and just realize that's part of the experience. And as an introvert, like, there's a the silo nature of this game fits well with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, board games for me are a social activity. It's like the only time I see Patrick. So, like, if you're looking for something where you can carry on a conversation and, oh, like, yeah. have interactions beyond, like, focusing, laser focusing on your job, this game's not going to be a particularly good fit for you. Well, right. Like, I mean, the Timberwolves were on when we were playing uh, the first game of this, and it's just like, I didn't catch any of that game because we were too locked into what we were doing and didn't really have time except for like in between rounds to look up and say, oh, yeah, Timberwolves are blowing it again. That's good to know. Yeah. Uh, the Timberwolves. Yes. <laughs> but no other like glaring struggles for this game. Patrick, you weren't completely enamored with the combat system, but uh, there's not like an easy grabbable fix for that, right? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's like terrible or awful. I'd give the game like a 7 out of 10. It was it was not exceptional, not bad. It, you know, I I didn't I, I had fun. It was a fun mm-hmm. experience playing with you guys. Well, your final thoughts and takeaways on XCOM the board game. I, I was I was surprised with because I, I was trepidatious when we decided we were going to play this uh, for the podcast because you know after hearing like Chewie and Lance play it and they weren't super positive on it, I just wasn't sure how it was going to fit with like the four of us or the three of us playing through it as a group. Um, but I'm like pleasantly surprised with how fun it went. Um, I think having it like having the, the app worked really well, um, didn't have really any issues. It didn't eat a ton of my battery on my tablet either, which is nice also. <laughs> and so I think all in all, I was I'm super impressed with how it plays. Now, would I want to like just pull it out and play it a ton more? I don't know. Like, I feel like I've probably gotten my fill on it. I'm curious about what the expansion maybe adds to it. Um, Pat was looking up the details on it and it really was just like, eh, it's going to make it harder for you. It's just like, oh, okay, well, yeah, let's just give me that experience so we can well, hate our lives. We won three out of four games. So like, That's true. should it be harder? But the, I mean, our one victory on normal was by the skin of our teeth. Yeah, barely. The yeah. first victory on easy was not a particularly easy victory either. Right. But that was when we were trying to figure out like how everything worked. I mean, maybe we just got to try it once on hard and just see really how much it puts the screws to us, I guess. Patrick, has XCOM, the board game, supplanted the video game franchise in your mind as the <laughs> ultimate XCOM franchise? No, not at all. Like, stripped down completely. Like, you make... The mechanics are pretty, pretty simple, made exciting, I think, by the timer and by forcing you to do them quickly and, and, and within a budget. And then uh, after that, it all comes down to die roll. So it's... Uh, it's it's a fun game. I think it, it, it kind of mimicked the video game pretty well, but I, I'd rather play the video game. Well, let but, me push on something just a little bit. Like, you said it comes down to just a die roll as though it was a negative. You love hero clicks, and that's all rolling dice, dude. Like, that is all rolling dice. I don't know. There's is it something the alien die with the Memoir 44, too? Yeah. That's another, like, Pat Hall of Fame game. This one just felt different. Like, there's... I don't know why. Like, as research guy, there you get six possible tech cards. Two or three of them seemed obviously the best. 
It's like, okay, I'll focus on those and then hope I hit them with the roll. And when I hit them, we did really well. And when I was squad leader and missed, we sucked. So you want to be money man next. Is that what you're saying? I'd be willing to try other roles. Well, it's funny. I initially did my show notes before playing money man today. I said that this was a fun experience and I really don't want to be money guy or commander dude. (laughs) Today I wound up as both and it was fun. It was interesting. But I'm also with you, Burns. Like, I can't imagine when I'll ever play this game again. Mm-hmm. It's like it was a For fun sure. thing. And like, even if we did want to dust it off at some point in the future, it's like the commitment to going back to learning the rules and like yeah. watching the videos. It's like, eh, am I really ever going to do that, or was this just a fun thing we did once for the show and then it'll fade into oblivion? Yeah. Yeah. Our group owns twenty or thirty other games. I'd much rather play. I own twenty or thirty other games. <laughs> right. that I'd like play. I said, it's it's a it's a fine game. It's a seven out of ten <laughs> game. Swimming in sevens. Well, Joey, your final thoughts and takeaways on XCOM, the board game? I already shared them. Awesome. I am totally paying attention. <laughs> XCOM, the board game. It's it's a fun experience. It's a different experience. It's unique. But it's best at four players and best without any deep thinkers in the group. Check it out if you want. I, I don't know. I'm done with XCOM for a long time now. I mean, it's good for mixing it up. Like, if you've played a lot of other games and you're looking for something different... I mean, it kind of scratches that itch if somebody has access to it. So for this show, I've consumed XCOM Enemy Unknown, XCOM 2 with a game-breaking bug. I've encountered XCOM, the board game. I love XCOM. I like. I really love the property and like the sci-fi scene. Just, it's a perfect fit for me. But I am ready to move on from XCOM now for a bit. <laughs> You're not going to pick up XCOM Chimera Squad and just sort of see what the newest entry in the series is? No, honestly, the next XCOM-based game I'm going to play is going to be Enemy Within, the expansion for Enemy Unknown. Oh, okay. And then, you know, maybe someday down the road I'll play War of the Chosen and see uh, what that adds to the experience. But I'm just, I'm kind of done with XCOM for right now. Oh, that makes sense. I, I mean, I am too, so. <laughs> Although for Game Pass Forever, I did suggest another tactical turn-based game that narrowly missed the cut did miss it did miss well that is our show on xcom next month joey and phoenix will be here to celebrate the 50th episode of outside is overrated we're going to discuss the world's greatest detective sherlock holmes thank you for listening please review us on your favorite podcast platform and consider supporting our show on patreon at patreon.com slash oio for joey at hobbybox burns and twitch.tv slash hobbybox burns and the rogue hippo pat DeGeest at Rogue underscore hippo for Twitter. I'm Thompson Logic <laughs> at Thompson Logic OIO. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids. Meow, 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 meow. It's been a while since that came back. I know, but I still think it's so funny. Uh, those are big lines when I screamed. <clears throat> We're going to stare at you intently. I wrote in the show notes, don't f*** this up, dude. Also, I don't think the show notes are printing. Sorry. <laughs> it's, so, it's a really slow printer. <laughs> we'll stand up and get ready to leave. and then...